Welcome back to Normies Like Us, the podcast that reminds you it's hip to be square. On a very special episode, our long interstellar journey comes to an end as we discuss one of our favorites. It's Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2 on Normies Like Us. Hit it! Sorry, but this was done to me just as much as it was done to you. Gumbly Scott, at your service. James, our chief science officer, Mr. Spock. Orders, Captain. You heard it up top. We are trekking through the stars once more, as we are known to do on this podcast, as we once again talk a little star trek this time season two strange new worlds here on normies like us with your hosts uh kaluna number one now this will be captain christopher mike of the starship enterprise <laughs> mm. and i guess it's this good. is uh science officer jock once hey, again wow jock wow you've been time traveling wow. you've been busy yeah shouldn't tell live you long and that. prosper yeah. yeah live long and prosper normies yeah, yeah. Set your phasers to fun. You know, we're talking uh, Star Trek <laughs> Strange New World. It might. Once again. What a great yeah. thing to say, because this episode in particular, I've been mm. looking so forward to talking to. It's a show that is so fun. It makes me so happy. We had a great little experience watching the finale, which I feel like we'll talk about as well. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Just real quick up top. Everybody's history with Strange New Worlds. Something I wanted to point out to you guys, I was thinking about as we sort of watched the second season. Um, I have never seen the Discovery uh, soft pitch for, for this whole show. Right. Right, right, so right. So, Normies, right. if you remember the history of this show, Strange New Worlds, is that these characters, at least the main trio originally, uh, Pike, Spock, and Una, number one, uh were introduced on Star Trek Discovery Season 2 as uh, guest characters for that season. Um, Mm -hmm. And based on their popularity in that show, uh, they got their own spinoff. So really, this entire show is thanks to a show that I don't think is very good, uh, Mm. Star Trek Discovery. But hey, they took a good idea and they kept going with it. So yeah. Um, Yeah. Somehow, you know, great casting, first of all. But I think, you know, Discovery was doing a little bit... You know, it's the modern Trek stuff. It's a lot noisier, a lot more action. And then when they went back in time in season two and they introduced this charismatic Pike and number one and Spock. And it's like, I, I want to hang out with these guys more. And I think it's what classic Trek fans are kind of more into. Yeah. They're like, we should just do a whole show. We'll just do well, like a classic Trek throwback show. And that's what Strange New Worlds is. It's like yes. a best of, I guess, for old fans and new Discovery, I would say never. Right, right, the problem with Discovery is it never knew really what it wanted to be because... It was a sh- it's a sh- it was a show that was set in this time period in the TOS uh, era. Um, oh, weird right. to think about. Go forward, yeah. yeah. But it's this super secret, top secret ship that no one knows about, and it has all these modern technologies and stuff that aren't any on the other any of the other ships. And then after season uh, two or three, I can't remember, they go forward in time like a thousand years. So they just tried to change the concept of the show too much, trying to be different from Trek, but yet still connected. But I think Strange New Worlds does a much better job of connecting to the canon of Star Trek overall with the TOS references, but not in a way that feels like it's pandering. 
they're telling their mm. own modern stories within this setting, but also connecting it to canon in a fun way for hardcore fans and people to be like point out Easter eggs and whatnot. Yeah. I'm, I'm also at a point now with Star Trek where I kind of don't care about canon anymore. Like I just look at it as an influx and they do a little bit in this season to explain that too. And we'll get to it when we get to the episodes. But I'm like, I don't care if first contact is a new timeline, which then makes Archer be different, which then makes this be a different version. I don't really care about the continuity. I'll just headcanon it that this is on the first contact timeline, but I really don't care. Well, yeah, I would say there. The only other, the only different timeline in established canon is the Kelvin timeline. Correct. And this is um, definitely not that. Sure. Yeah. The way, yeah, I would have had canon is, and they do, like you said, they explain it where anytime anyone time travels in Star Trek, small things change about the world, but it might not necessitate a whole new timeline. But that's why you can explain like, oh, this it's actor like looks different. one than, timeline that's shifting kind of between yeah. states at all times. So yeah. I like to look at that more than a bunch of branching timelines, like the popular multiverse trend of movies this year. Um, yeah, mm. but I think this show There's does a, a good job General continuity of, with some small details that you can complain about if you really, really want to. Yeah. yeah. Like, like the uh, but, eugenics wars changing dates all the time, that kind of thing. Yeah, but I, I would say this is what makes this show great is that it is telling its own stories, but still connecting to canon in a way that's fun. And I mean, the, the, the amount of references to TOS and the TOS characters, most people that are watching this, they're not going to care, but it's really for hardcore fans and for people that are like over, you know, 60 years old, let's say, uh, fans yeah. of the original series, but they do it in a respectful way. So it's like, if you compare it to something like Picard season three, where it's just a lot of references to TNG and stuff. And I like that show as well, mm. but I just think the references are done in a subtler way here and in a way that respects the source material, but doesn't like insist upon it. Like it's doing its own thing. So yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I've described this as kind of being, especially season one, like the greatest hits of star Trek. Like they only have 10 episodes a season. So it's generally all filler, no killer. And they'll look at like, what are these standard episodes types, the virus episode, the marooned episode. And we just kind of do that, but with these new characters and with kind of a new perspective and new character dynamics, but we kind of look at these tropes and then interpret them in a modern way. Uh, that's, in my opinion, this is the best show to get new fans into Star Trek. I would not tell anybody yeah. to do anything else but watch love the that. first and second season of this. Um, I think you're... Uh, have an appetite. Yeah, you're spot on there, Mike. And I will. I was going to... This is the other question I wanted to ask you guys up top. So, mm -hmm. Strange New Worlds, 10 episodes a season for season one and two. That's kind of the new standard of the streaming television model. Back in the day, in the 90s and the 2000s, uh, network television, the standard was 24, 25 episodes a season. Now, I wanted to ask you guys' opinion, which one do you prefer? Because, uh, you know, in the old days, TNG, DS9, Voyager, mm -hmm. you would get like 10 to 12 to 15 good episodes a season. And then, like I said, 10 episodes of filler or just, you know, mediocre episodes or just really bad episodes sometimes. Um, yeah. And I will say for bad labor purposes, sometimes too. Yeah. 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 You know, making 10 episodes a season labor wise, it's much less labor intensive. So I would say back in the day, actors were in crew were overworked a lot on these type of shows where they were forced mm. to pump out 25 episodes a season. So I think that's one labor practice that has changed for the better since the 90s. Maybe in other ways, Hollywood hasn't changed for the better. But uh, I do think this stream model, it's more feasible for writers. You don't have to come up with 25 good stories. Um, and like no you said, all killer, no filler. Necessary, so to speak. 
Yeah. You know? So these 10 episodes in an I, old Star Trek season would be like the best episodes. But now it's just like you don't need the filler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just to comment on what you said, too, to tie into my thoughts on all that. I agree with you. Obviously, people were overworked back in the day. But the alternative perspective is and what a lot of people are striking for now is the reduced seasons, cutting down on residuals and also leading to and what I maybe think is a positive. uh, A lot of times what people will get is sort of these season one, 10 episodes, season one B or kind of two, 10 episodes where it feels like everything is so tied together and comes out so quick. Because if you think about it, guys, there's not a long wait between season one of Strange New Worlds and season two of Strange New Worlds. No, no. Presumably, we're going to have a longer wait between season three with the strike and everything going yes. on. Everybody get they my bag, that. right? But I'm, I'm fine having even a one or two year wait between seasons where now in retrospect, I have, in my opinion, 20 episodes, which is almost a full season of a regular Trek show. And they're all fucking good. And I love yeah. that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind waiting five years to have what would equate to two incredible seasons of traditional Trek. Like, that's I, fine by right. me. But, Mike, you couldn't go up to a 12, a 15. I just, I, 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 I wouldn't feel want to. I'm the scared. 90s, Jacob. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I want say. more, but I want good. That's because I have two. That's just a deadly small amount to me. Mm, I have two ways like of bacon. thinking about this because. I do think there were benefits to the older model. Uh, and it's interesting how much things have changed because back in the day, everything was like 20, 20 to 25 episodes mm-hmm. season. Now, almost everything, unless you're in half hour sitcom or something. Um, I mean, that's the new streaming model. It's like eight to 10 episodes. It's more like a mini series than a, mm-hmm. a full season. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to produce 10 really good episodes in a year than 25. First of all, mm-hmm. I mean, you're almost, you're, you're, 1.5 times in your your work with 25 episodes. And but on the other side of it, I do like the older model sometimes because when I'm binging, when I'm binging old Star Trek shows, I just like to watch a bunch of episodes in a row. Got about put it three on the weeks background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not worried about and, running out. You know, sometimes those filler episodes, they can be fun. They might not be the best episodes, but they're still fun to watch and enjoyable. And even sometimes the really bad ones are fun to watch in a you know, so, so bad it's good kind of way. So you lose that, but I do like the consistent quality of the show and 10 episodes a season allows it to kind of maintain that consistency. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think they're giving you a little bit of everything. Cause an episode that would be goofy and fun, you know, like a holodeck episode with Sherlock Holmes, we get that with a storybook episode and we get some of those in this new season. So I don't know. Yeah. I think overall we do really like the show though. And we're excited to talk about it. No. Yeah. Yes. And this show does a really good job of differentiating genres. Like you said, like each episode is a different Star Wars trope or genre or Star Trek. Wars, Star Trek trope or fire this man. Genre. I love Star um, Wars, dude. I fucking love Star Wars. Live long in Han Solo. Yeah. But that's, that's what really right. struck me about like this season and the last season is how different each episode is. So you can have a fun musical episode. You can have sure. a very serious war episode you can have a trial episode and they all you can have a spock uh humorous episode and they all feel like they fit in the same show yeah absolutely um, yeah yeah and, I, and i'll just say then we're we're about to you know hit warp speed here and we're going to talk about the whole season we're just going to go one episode at a time there'll be spoilers kind of between both seasons if we want to make comparisons etc but we're going to go episode by episode let us know our general thoughts and kind of what uh what Trek trope it's uh, attempting and how we feel it accomplishes that. But hopefully uh, you're excited to uh, engage with that content with us. And if you're watching YouTube and wondering why the hell 
I'm wearing an apron. That story will also be told on the other side of this. So wow, let's let's uh, let's hit it, guys. Uh, Engage season two. down from warp because we're talking star trek strange new world season two the paramount plus original um that's wow. taking the world by storm do, again do people watch paramount I like plus to think so <laughs> i would like to hope so because i find yeah. this show very good you're, you're gonna hear us gushing i think throughout. yes but um i want to mention because uh on youtube i am wearing an, an apron and uh, i have a little star Fleet uh, com badge, and I want to just mention, you know, because we're all into this show and we live close enough. Captain Pike is fast becoming, it might be, my favorite Star Trek captain. This is close to becoming oh my, my favorite Star Trek show, but I don't know if we're there yet. But I love Christopher Pike. I love that he's kind of the um, empathetic captain. He's always wondering, how is my crew feeling? You know, he's, he's kind of more like that, like hands-on, you know, what's your mental state and that kind of thing. Not maybe a wartime captain, but one of the things he does to bond with his crew is he cooks dinners for him. And I like to cook. So, I was able to, through official channels, not going to dox anybody, but I was able to determine the make and the distributor of the apron that Pike actually wears on the show. It's from Canada. I'll put a link in the description because uh, it's not an ad, but I was able to acquire authentic it. Authentic info from the show, though. Important from to point people out. people who work on the show, <laughs> I was able to get the information. This is 100% the, uh, the apron that was sourced for uh, Anson Mountain, anybody else wearing aprons on the show. So, I was really excited wow. to have a dinner party for the finale. I invited you guys over and I 3D printed some yes. Star Trek com badges that you can see on YouTube as well. Um, yes. Hey, it was we got a great science. time. There we go. Yeah, our captain cooked for us. Uh, it was helped. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how we watched the finale of this. So, that's the story behind Pike's Apron. Link in the description. And as far as a Star Trek badge, yeah. you'd love to come to a dinner in person. Maybe you'll get one. Well, yeah. And we don't live in a world where you can just use a, a little food replicator or whatever to just like beep, boop, boop, make your little meals. So, like when you're saying, you know, Pike making these meals is like a touching act of love or whatever. Mm-hmm. It is still in our time as well, because Mike, you invite us over, you take the time, and I gotta say, cook the best meal of my life. It was so goddamn good. Oh, so thank, thank you, you for that. Thank you for you. these. And thanks for love, helping. I loved really it, Doug. It. Love you. Doug. A great time was yeah. had by all. Look at the positive yes, energy truly. the show is creating, right, amongst friends. Yes. Know? So yes, we got good, very drunk say. on champagne. And then watch the finale, but we will get there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll get there. So, it's a long road getting from there to here. That's a different show, but, you know, yes, it's a good That's reference right. nonetheless. So, I guess um, we can just hop in first episode then? Yeah, let's hop in. Um, so, we'll go episode by episode. Starting Title, with episode what type one. Of, what type of episode is it? Spoilers. Yeah. You, you know yeah. how we do. We're going to talk about the whole thing. But the main thing is we're really going to break down a season that we fucking uh, – or a show that we fucking love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. Um, so, so, yeah, we have episode one, The Broken Circle. Now, this mm-hmm. was an episode – this was the season premiere, obviously. Uh, kind of following a loose thread from the previous season uh, dealing with La'an – uh, La'an, Nooney, and Singh, um, security officer who who goes off to 
Now, Mike, remind me of uh, what what happened in season. There's a shared mining colony. It's like you know, human Klingon run it together. It's in you know shared space. They have day shift, night shift, essentially. But she's there after getting the refugee girl home who's lost in a Gorn attack. But largely, what this turns into is a classic trope, uh, Star Trek trope, which we've seen in some of the movies with Chang. It's like there's a plot to create a false flag attack that'll create a war between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. So some of these Klingons are radical. That's right. And they're trying to steal a Federation ship to make it look like the Federation attacked the Klingons and then it'll be a, a whole thing. Sounds like another and movie we just watched called yeah, Star Trek well, Into Darkness. Trek, yeah, <laughs> and Into Darkness. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, La'on um, resigned from Starfleet at the end of season one, correct? So she's sort of like in this like spy kind of flux mode, right? Yeah, she was trying yeah, to get this kind of off. Home. She's on leave, I think, at, at the least. Uh, yeah. I really gave up on trying to remember that synopsis halfway through. But uh, it's about it makes Mikey much sense in a row. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll paint with broad strokes, too. Can I just say real quick, this whole season, I think there's a lot for Laon. And I really mm. like what they're doing. Mm. And we'll get there. But I really like oh, this I, idea. Oh. No, I was going to say, I totally agree with you. Laon, yeah. I feel like, is the MVP of this season. Yeah, spoilers for what we'll get into. But I think even as a general character, I really like them taking another stab. At, and I just realized this yesterday is another stab at um, Tasha Yar because we have a female security officer who mm. has a traumatic backstory, doesn't really connect with people. I mean, she connects with a robot in TNG. Like Laan has a hard time connecting with people. And I think it's we're taking another stab at this damaged uh, kind of traumatic backstory female security right. officer. And I just think it's cool that they're kind of getting to redeem that idea. And they're doing a great job this season to really flesh that out. And she has to appear tough, like a badass for her job being the security officer. But also, she's got a more emotional side, which we might see this season. She's trying to protect that. Yeah. just like And she's also got this stigma with her name being an ancestor of Khan Noonien Singh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, she's got to deal with that as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm totally into Long in this another season. timeline just tried to... Well, he was part of a false flag plot, but in a right. different way. Um, but yeah, so that's Yeah, we learn about the Doctor and Benga and Chapel's history in the in the Klingon War skirmishes that were happening. That's they have right. combat experience. There's a drug that they get all juiced up. But Colin, season premiere, there's a lot of action, some familiar elements. How did you feel about this way to kick it off? A, and I believe we definitely referenced the first two or maybe the first three on either a Watcha or one of our mm-hmm. previously recorded Star Trek movies, where I believe we yeah. kind of all gave the same feelings. Although Jacob will probably defend like, oh, I love this season the whole time, as I believe you have off pod. Mm-hmm. Um, but feeling kind of cold initially, I remember thinking the first one was like, okay, we've got some threads to tie up here. You know, we, we, we set some stuff up at the end of season one. Let's just pay that off, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this episode. It's not my favorite of the season or top three even, but it it was it was a good episode. And uh, I think that just speaks to the consistency, again, of the show where it's like even a lesser episode in the season, even if it is a season premiere, um, it's still it's still good. Yeah. And there's things that in hindsight, like when we first saw this and I'm like, okay, and Ben has got like a super drug that him and Chapel can take and they're beating up a ton of Klingons. I'm like, this is kind of crazy though. Like, this is kind of crazy. Like, are we, are we going too far? But then when you learn the genesis of that and the backstory, which we will in a very good episode later in the season, I'm like, okay, this is all making sense in hindsight. So there's a lot of threads that kind of lead to things and maybe you just didn't spot it the first week you watched it. Getting a lot of hints of DS9. 
my favorite yep. uh, with the war stuff. I mean, the Dominion War is a big part of that show. And um, so and the the episode that we'll talk about in a little bit uh, really feels that way as well. The Embedded um, Chapel episodes are weirdly the they're, they're tied to that DS9 energy a little bit where it's yeah. kind of conflict and the war well, and this and that. You know, the Federation Starfleet in 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 times of war is not a thing that we see a lot in Star Trek. So it's usually mm-hmm. we see it in flashback to the Klingon War uh, or with DS9 you had the Dominion War that was like a big event where the you know Starfleet was actively in you know in war which is mm-hmm. they're normally not and then um even in that show you had the Cardassian Bajoran conflicts and you have like people remembering you know what that was like and stuff so yeah i get yeah. a lot of ds9 vibes from these kind of episodes scratches your itch especially one we'll get yeah. to later but i think it's a solid opener there's there's a lot of action i think you know that's what they want we want to get people in with the flashing lights and colors and jangle the keys look at all this stuff because the next episode, if we're ready to cruise, anything else on episode one? You know, pretty Just good. Just want to mention... Uh, episode. Go ahead, Jacob. Yeah. One other sure. thing about it, the Klingons. This is the first time I think we see Klingons <laughs> in this show. Um, and obviously, we see a very different designed Klingon in Discovery. Uh, so, we're seeing a more uh, uh, TNG-esque Klingon with their own kind of maybe some modern changes and stuff to kind of update the look. So it still keep, keeps faithful to that TNG look. Um, so I like to see that. Sure. Yeah, and they started crossing over the TNG Klingons with, you know, Kirk in the movies, you know? So. Yeah. There's always been a, a sliding scale of what Klingons look like too, like many right. things in Star Trek. So, well, there's a yeah, loose explanation good. of uh, something that happened to them between. We don't talk. Uh, TOS yeah. and yeah. <laughs> um, but really it's just, you know, updates in makeup and prosthetic technology. Uh, but you love to see the Klingons. They're always a good, and you know, this is always, we good. know eventually they're going to become allies of Starfleet in the Federation, but right now they're kind of one of the biggest, uh, adversaries at Starfleet. Right. We have a peace they're kind of a something. standoff, a sort of cold war, if you will. Oh, yes. And the next time we see Klingons, it will be a truly shocking moment. So yeah. that is, that is fun to set That's up right. as well. They're using uh, all of the iconography so well. So it's a good start, yeah. you know? Classic. We had stuff. Romulans last season. Um, you love Klingons to see it. Klingons to kick but, up here. We had Gorn in the Memento Mori last season. They're using a lot of mm-hmm. these, you know, more and less TOS, than uh, we have. Yeah. yeah. So, episode two, mm-hmm. Ad Astra per Ad Aspera per Astra. No, Ad Astra per Aspera. Ad Astra per stars, Astra. Through hardship. Yes. There you go. And Mike, do wow. you want to... Kind of take it away yeah. with the synopsis on this one. I mean, this is our classic we had at the end of last season. Uh, number one, Una Chin Riley is found out to be an Illyrian, having lied that uh, she had genetic modifications in order to join Starfleet. That's highly illegal, thanks to uh, the eugenics wars started by Khan Nunian Singh. That's so right. she is at her tribunal to see if she can stay in Starfleet. Uh, Pike risks uh, his own life even to go and find her old friend and galaxy's greatest lawyer i can't remember the character's name but the actress does a great job but they're yeah. kind of uh they have a rocky relationship due to how una left the planet so there's a little bit of history yes. there but she's going to do her best job lawyering um for una her old friend and it's kind of yeah the classic courtroom episode we're getting a measure of a man well, kind of vibe yes here. so i guess here's my issue uh, mm-hmm. And I, th- I think I can finally verbalize what my my grievance with these first two episodes is. Jacob, you saying that last one felt so 
DS9 heavy. Yeah. And I've heard you guys say that this second one feels so TNG heavy. Mm-hmm. I like Strange New Worlds because I like Strange New Worlds. I don't need these right. two very influenced by other Trek episodes. Right. I would say almost every episode of Strange New Worlds is influenced by past Trek episodes. That's kind of, I feel like that's part of the identity of the show where I wouldn't say it's derivative, but it is kind of beholden to earlier uh, Star Trek tropes. Well, it's directly influenced by those old scientists. I, that's I right. I say their actual <laughs> yeah, names yeah, right yeah. now. Um, and those and new be, guys, TNG. Yeah. <laughs> those <laughs> new guys. Those new guys. I like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we like those old scientists. Uh, we like those new guys. If he had said yeah. that, I really would have been And happy. those Deep Space Nine over there, there's like, yeah, <laughs> nine of them. Those they just deep, live yeah. out there. Deep Space <laughs> morons. Yeah, um, yeah, but sorry. what you know, I will. I will say, um, as the to be an annoying Star Trek nerd mm-hmm. about it, um, I'll point out. You know what old episodes each episode of this season reminds yes. me of. This one, in addition to you know Measure of a Man and and other trial type episodes in TNG, uh, the whole eugenic or the whole uh, genetically modified angle was also discuss, uh, dealt with in DS9 with right. Dr. Julian mm-hmm. Bashir, who, like Una, was genetically modified as a baby, un- unbeknownst to him. Uh, and there's a whole... Him. Yeah, and there's a whole trial episode about that, where, because if yes. you're... Co- if you're in... You can't be... you technically not allowed to join Starfleet if you have genetic modification. So, him finding out... You lasers out of your eyes. Yeah, yeah, he just thought he was a really good doctor, really smart yeah, guy. Yeah, makes him really smart. He can shoot oh, darts no. with perfect accuracy mm-hmm. when he plays, uh, you know, uh, darts. But anyways, yeah, uh, so fun. another DS9 TNG inspired episode, like you're saying, Colin. Yeah, sure. And this, I, I enjoy it a lot. I Again, Measure Man is probably my favorite TNG episode. It might be my favorite Star Trek episode. I probably watch it the most. So mm-hmm. this isn't quite as good as that, but I think it's doing a very good job at doing its own version where we have conflict between the lawyer and Una and the lawyers not only trying to get Una's sentence reduced or get her freed. She's trying to like get Starfleet to see how it's being prejudiced maybe. And like that we can ease up. So she has to use in the end of the, at the end of the episode, she uses a loophole to get Una instated because she seeked asylum mm. and they have to grant asylum to somebody who's fleeing a persecution state yes. and that's what was happening in yes. Illyria. So, she uses a loophole. It doesn't get all Illyrians able to be in Starfleet, but it helps Una be allowed to stay in stated and that's kind of where we leave the status quo. I will say it's, it. it's, it's better done than the Picard, uh, very unsubtle android rights uh, you know, former like Borg one. people kind of sure. angle where, where oh, yeah. androids are completely outlawed in Picard but, time because there was a terrorist attack. Oh, and the blah, Picard, blah. yeah. 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 So, but Jacob, remember when we talked about this originally, I was like, there's like five episodes of the Orville where the plot is the lawyer reveals like, haha, I have the same thing as the person I'm defending. And you're like, yes. yes. <laughs> and you know what I was thinking? Rebecca Romaine. I want your opinion on this and her as an actor. I think we should hit all the key people who have like, this is their episode. Lon has more. We'll get to her, but like Rebecca Romaine as Una in this uh, episode. Yeah. Uh, But you know who she reminds me of Jacob? Who is that lady who plays the number one on that? And from Friday night lights, what, what is her name? Oh, Adrian Palicki. Adriana Palicki, right? Adrian, Adriana, whatever her name is. That's right. Yeah. She, that, if she looks at Rebecca Romaine, 
that that's like as good as she could hope her career kind of goes, right? <laughs> sure. I think she's great. She's good in the Orville. Like, like you're talking to probably maybe the mm. biggest Orville fan here. Um, sure. I think or- yes. Orville, there's episodes of Orville that are as good as uh, anything Strange New Worlds has done. So I that's, like that show a lot. There's not a chance that's true, my that's friend. That's absolutely there's true. not a chance um, that They do true. a really good uh, arc about basically transgenderism that I think is uh, really, really good. Uh, well, and there's some, did that too. Yeah. But uh, this does it in, a, in an interesting way. And I think the Orville, I'll defend the Orville any day. Cause I think it's, I'm sleeping on the Orville big time. You've shouted really, that really out really before. Am. Yeah. I can't imagine it. It, it was before, it before just strange me. new worlds. <laughs> it was the best yes. new Trek property since enterprise. Right. So, right. And hey, I you it, know, like I, I love said, Scott Grimes. Yeah. You know how excited um, I was to see him in Oppenheimer. <laughs> it'll, it'll have the tide me no, over, some, I guess, while we wait. Yeah, if you've never watch. seen yes. the Orville, I would check it out. Give it a couple episodes because it starts as mm. more comedic. Like, I think I've talked about this before, but Seth MacFarlane pitched it as a more comedic satire of a Star Trek type show when really yes. his hidden agenda was just to make a Star Trek show. So after yeah. a couple episodes, the humor gets a lot less cringy, I would say. At some points, I do find it cringy, but... Once you get into the lore and the world building of this this world that's like Star Trek but different um, because they can't use the IP, um, they have new alien races. Do you think he watches? Do you think he listens to this podcast? Seth MacFarlane, yeah, probably. Well, yes, he certainly <laughs> does. Do you think he watches Strange New Worlds and every night just like throws his TV down and breaks it when uh-huh. the episode's over, and then like his butler like puts a new TV up every mm-hmm. day? Yeah, maybe. Yep, he's so frustrated. Uh, wasn't him. <laughs> Let him guess direct an episode. I don't know. I think Orville. That's, yes, that's I, that thing. would be interesting, Mike. But hold mm-hmm. on. I do want, yeah. Mike, what is your take on Mystique? What do you think of Rebecca Romaine? Is it- yeah, I think she's great. I really do, especially as the season goes on. Like, man, because at first it's like the end of season one, Una's gone and La'an is gone. I'm like, damn it. We're going to have two seasons where we have like some fill-in character and immediately episode one. Milan's back, episode two, Una's back. And it's like, okay, that's good because I like both those characters and I, I think Rebecca Romaine's doing great yes. here. Yeah. Yeah, I never really thought of the end of season one that they were writing those characters off. I thought it was more just going to be kind of story threads to pick up next season. Um, Cliffhangers. So yeah, I guess it was a way that if they wanted to leave the show, they could have written them off. Yeah, I, I don't know if Rebecca Romaine to. wants to do Star Trek, but after seeing this whole season, it seems like she does. I the hope interviews, so. It seems like she does and she's great at it. Una is just such an interesting character because obviously she has to be sort of the task master and rule setter on the bridge of the ship as the number one. And she is typically kind of steely and obviously she's Illyrian. She's got all this like weird, you know, oh, I have all these hangups from this. But she has two, I think, very genuine moments. I think maybe both with Spock that are incredibly sensitive this season where she'll like put her hand on his shoulder and be like, like, I'm going to tell you some sort of like of upsetting news and like i'm kind of gauging how you're going to react to this that like mm-hmm. rebecca remain kind of like crushes and i've never mm, yeah. seen her like do that level of work before so she's a great um i think foil for the pike character because he's like I'm, I'm affable and like you can talk to me and then she's like we got to stay on task like he can be good cop she can be back right. it's like the director and she's the first ad the director can be right. kind of cool but then totally. she has to keep everybody on board Typically, her updates in these sort of like all hands on deck meetings are like, this is what Starfleet is doing or said that they have to do. And like nobody else is considering that. It's Mm -hmm. very interesting. I will say (laughs) 
I don't dislike Una, but I think she's probably my yeah. least favorite mm-hmm. uh, member of the main cast, I'll say, in terms okay. of characters. Just because I like the other characters more. Fair enough, fair enough. I have. I mean, maybe I would put Pelia, Pelia below her, but uh, other than that, yeah, she's probably... Pelia. Yeah, we oh, also Pelia. get Pelia yes, in episode Pelia. one. She's our new we should engineer. introduce Pelia. She's like an uh, alien species that can live forever, but it's not a Guinan species, just another person who lives for a long time. Yeah, she's not Elorian, but yeah, she lives a she's long time. She's been like the teacher of Una. She lives forever, and she like is bored at Starfleet and helps them steal the ship. And then when they do a good job... Yes solving the case of the week she's allowed to yeah. stay and nobody gets in trouble so she's just and this is of course season. uh character played by carol kane carol kane uh kind of a very well-known more comedic actress generally uh who's been in a lot of stuff um so i feel like she's like hammer last season she's kind of coming in for a brief amount of time to be replaced maybe by a character that we'll meet uh, later in the season. She, right now, she's she got maybe the Dr. Plocky, where it's like, we have a character that everyone kind of likes more. We'll replace it with a different curly-haired lady, and we'll figure it out. Yeah. I thought they were kind of treating the engine, the chief engineer position as like the defense against the dark arts uh, <laughs> professor <laughs> yeah. in Harry Potter, where it's a That's different good. person every year. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That would be a cool gimmick. I would yeah. like that. Yeah, but uh, so that's what's going on. I think to wrap episode two, though, yeah, pretty good, pretty good uh, trial episode. Mileage may vary based on your taste and those sort of things. So, uh, episode three, Jacob, where we got episode three, we got you know what, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, episode of the season, uh, and it's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Yeah, here we go. What do we got? What is, what is this classic Trek trope? The old time course, travel a, shenanigans, right? Yes. Time travel. Now, re- readers, listeners, if you've ever watched those old scientists, TOS, uh, mm-hmm. check out an episode called City on the Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, consider one of, if not the best episode of the original uh, series where uh, Spock and Kirk go back in time in a similar situation. Yes. So that's kind of riffing on that. Similar to how there was that one episode last season that riffed on the uh, Romulan uh, episode of TOS. Anyways, oh, uh, tomorrow, right. tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow. Balance tomorrow. of Terror. Yeah. Balance of Terror. That's right. So, yeah, we get a time travel episode. We have um, La'an getting sent back for hijinks with uh, alternate timeline Kirk. Is that right? Yeah. So, there's, there's something, yes. something in the timeline happens to change the present. La'an is the only one not affected by that. She goes into the bridge. It's not Captain Pike there anymore. It's Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Uh, yeah. That classic we reveal saw, Trek. Whoa, yes. is it, something's wrong here. Yeah. Right. And we saw, you know, of course, Paul uh, Paul Wesley. Yep. Paul uh, Wesley. Uh, playing this role in one episode, the Balance of Terror episode last season in an alternate kind of future. So now Mm -hmm. we're seeing an alternate present and past uh, episode. And yeah, Lauren and Kirk, they kind of had to go on this journey back through time. It's an unlikely pairing at first. uh, And they go back to Toronto in present day 2020, whatever, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's supposedly some 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 big like oh there's a date coming that everybody it's a looming date that they know there's some big terrorist attack or some something terrible is going to happen a bomb's going to go off ticking clock and they got to yes. stop it because they know oh we're from the future so in two days or whatever we need to stop this thing and so it involves a little bit yeah. of intrigue and uh, a little bit of hygiene. Of course, too. this is also uh, yeah getting into the temporal Cold War kind of angle of Enterprise. 
We see this is where we explain away a lot of the continuity issues because yeah, Enterprise yes. does introduce a temporal, the temporal cold, cold war. But cold war. It's cold yes. war. Only Christopher uh, Nolan has ever said that phrase bro. out loud. That's what Tenet is about. Um, it is, war. but uh, wow. no, but like there's a whole there's a whole temporal. There's a whole temporal prime directive, which is different than the regular prime directive, where you can't, you're right. not supposed to fuck with the timeline, blah, blah, blah. It's like the TVA. Like now that people have yeah. seen Loki, that's what they were doing in the Enterprise. There's a whole division yeah. of people who are supposed to protect There's the a division timeline. of Starfleet who is like the time agents. You also see them in DS9. Uh, you know, they're kind of like Section 31 where they just pop up and cause problems sometimes or try to fix problems. But sometimes yep. they can be antagonistic uh, to present day. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow, 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 they go back to present day Toronto. They're trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing. Kind of growing closer, Kirk and Lon, right, as this adventure goes on, mm-hmm. um, becoming friends. And uh, eventually they find out that what they're here to stop is terrorists who time terrorists who want to uh terrorists kill khan noonian singh as a baby or as a child to create a situation uh where the federation never exists because khan and his uh, eugenics war is what galvanizes the rest of humanity to band together and become like we need to be more spacefaring. We need to, we you know, we can't be having this going on. No more eugenics, and that, that right. we get the global society as a result of that. But if that never happens, no Starfleet Romulans take over. So that's what the, right. the Romulans are trying to do here. Sorry, yeah, so it's Romulans, Romulans in disguise as humans uh, on this mission, and it kind of gets into the age old question of if you could go back in time and kill baby Hitler, mm-hmm. would you do it? Or also, if you knew that. By not killing, by killing baby Hitler, you've created a situation where the modern world is not shaped in the same way, and yes. things are actually worse in present the day. Butterfly so you have effect, to, almost, yeah, yeah. So you have to keep and, baby Hitler alive. And with, um, you know, Laan Union Singh, it's like, well, I'm killing my great 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 grandpa. Well, I even exist, kind of thing too. Right. So it's time traveler's paradox with that yes. baby Hitler vibe, and then the Romulans are pissed off because they were stuck there for like 20 years. They're like this was supposed to happen earlier. The timeline got fucked up, and I've just been stuck here as a human, and I hate it, and I hate you, and like you know that's where the animosity yes. is coming from. <laughs> and very funnily, this explains a loophole in canon that fans have been trying to create, like headcanon around for years, which is that, uh, you know, the eugenics wars were supposed to take place in the 90s, right? They're yeah. referenced in in every, you know, Star Trek show before. When they were written of, in the 60s, the 90s yes, was a long way off. Was the future, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And in, in Voyager, of course, they go back to present day 90s in San Francisco. You know, they meet Sarah Silverman. Uh, That's But right. there's no eugenic wars. Excuse so me? Like, <laughs> they go back to San Francisco and they meet Sarah Silverman. Okay? The Rock is in Voyager too. to be fair. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So, that um, makes sense. But when they go back to San Francisco and meet Sarah Silverman, there's no eugenics wars in sight. So that mm-hmm. always was a big loophole of like, wait, aren't isn't Khan supposed to be like fighting the eugenics wars right now? Um, right. But now with this, oh, something messed up and they had to wait... 20 years uh kind of explains that i guess yeah the reason so you really care about that match sort of is just don't think about it sure <laughs> yeah yeah that's cool but it explains I love it more that. than it yeah before yeah yeah hey, here's what i like about this episode now mm-hmm. what did you say it's called it's city on the edge of tomorrow forever what is it in city on the edge of tomorrow for tos yeah city on the edge of tomorrow 
Now that is, I believe, an episode written by very famous writer Harlan Ellison, right? Yes. Who is like an incredible sci-fi, sci-fi writer. writer who mm-hmm. wrote cool. some of the best Twilight Zones, some of the best Outer Limits, of yeah. course, who would write some of the best Star Treks. Now he, like his contemporaries, Philip K. Dick, which I think this episode feels very much like as well, would have these like very kinetic, very weird moral problems that would happen like out of nowhere with a thing. So the fact that a guy shows up shot and goes, ooh, take this thing. I'm from this thing. If you grab this thing, you know, you won't go back in time. See ya. And then he dies. And Lahad's like, what the fuck is going on? And she's suddenly thrust into an alternate dimension. And then the past with someone else. And that I think it very purposefully does, Jacob, uh, uh, follow that question of killing baby Hitler, which was like a thing people were already saying in the 40s like by the 60s like it was something people were exploring in their right you know what i mean like wiping out this threat that ruined so many lives and changed ways. same way now people are like what if donald trump wasn't president what would have happened like even if you're Mm -hmm. like that close to it you you think about these things i just think this episode just does like a remarkable job of tapping into that style of writing and it's thrilling and Let's talk about Laong. I believe her name is Christina Chong, correct? The the actress who plays her. She fucking crushes this episode. And when she Mm -hmm. is crying in a bunker on a bed next to a little boy that she's thinking about blowing his brains out, it is like, my God, you are just like killing it right now. What what she's great at selling, Christina Chong, the actress, is is the trauma. And like when, you know, Laong's in this moment, it's like... Uh, she has suffered so much in present day, so much stigmatization just because of her last name, just because of her lineage. She hasn't even done shit and she suffered right. just for who she was. She suffered living through a Gorn hatchery. And even after that, people just don't accept her because of her last name. So it's like, I can take out this guy that is a part of my burden, but it's also a child. And to play that yes. conflict and that pain. Yeah, she's yeah. crushing it. She crushes it the whole season. Great job. It's like, the, the uh, relief that she's brought. Sorry, Jacob, real quick, yeah. but just the one second where she's in the car with Paul Wesley, who says, what's your name, by the way, Laon? And she says, well, it's kind of famous. He goes like, you've got a famous name. What are you talking about? And like mm-hmm. she says, Noonan Singh, and it means nothing to him. Like the relief she yeah. feels in that moment. She plays it so well. She's she's mm-hmm. great. What did you think of her performance, Jacob? Because he, yeah, of course, he in that time, alternate timeline, uh, they are at war with the Romulans because Khan never existed, blah, blah, blah. So he doesn't know who Khan She's is, but he's also from a warlike timeline mm-hmm. where the pe- Federation is it doesn't exist and it's not all about peace and exploration. So it's obviously he, worse he timeline. Buys in to because, sorry, she says, oh, yeah, your brother works on my ship. He's like, he's alive. Yeah, he's like, so in his timeline, my his brother's, brother's alive. dead. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's why he gets. We also, can I say real quick, skipped over a chess montage where Kirk is oh. hustling people to make money by playing a uh, street. That's chess. right. I want to ask you, is the implication that just anyone in Star Trek, because they're in the future would be really good at well, chess. Yes. It's actually, like because to them. they have, they play like 3d chess where there's like multiple levels and they have all these advanced new. Oh, games. so basic chess to them is like oh. a children <laughs> for babies. You know? They play. Yeah. What was that yeah. thing in, in DS9? Catamaran. Catamaran. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dabo. Um, but they're thinking, you know, uh, yeah. they're so Dabo, yes. technologically <laughs> that, yeah, chess is easy to them. Um, but or maybe strategy. Just so really good at chess. And yeah. he's just yeah. idea like, wait, I'm a genius. <laughs> 
I need yeah. to make money. Yeah, I, I do like that. Like we need yeah. to get clothes. We need to make money. Yes. And just hustles a bunch how, do, of how do people make money in this time is what he says out loud. Right. Yeah. Well, it's um, like the episode, you know, it's dog. like it's like uh, the voyage Ugh. home where they go back to San Francisco and they don't understand, uh, you know, how things are in the present. And people um, are LDS. Does yeah. that Kirk play chess? I can't even remember. He I should. He should have. Yeah. I wish he would have. <laughs> um, I will say. So, yeah, this is like, you know, not only are you trying to you, do you have to not kill baby Hitler, but baby Hitler is also your great, 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 great grandfather. Your name is. Your last Jacob, name's Jacob Hitler. Hitler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah geez. Uh, which is not my name, by the way. I like that you but, did yourself. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> but the, the conflict is that she wants to kill him because she knows that he's a bad person and, and she could save so many lives by doing that, but also be jeopardizing the future for, for the worse. So she, she has to resist the temptation to kill him by, and, you know, the, the ends justify the means once right. again, you know. Yeah. Are we any better than the Romulans if I go through with this too and, you know, kill a child? You know, it's, there's yeah. a lot of, and yes. I don't think it and gives you the moral answer. It's a difficult thing that scholars struggle with, but the episode yeah. handles it in an interesting way that keeps you thinking about it afterwards. And the performance is really strong. Right. Um, and by the way, the city on the edge of tomorrow, the uh, conflict is that basically Kirk meets a lady that he likes, um, who's a nice lady, of course, as he does. And mm-hmm. but then they find out that this lady is going to die in a car accident in two weeks or so. And but they have to not warn her about it because, uh, you know, they'll change Except the future in a way that's stuff. bad. Yeah. yeah. So they ha- so Kirk has to let this woman that he starts to have feelings for die because of reasons. Yeah. Supposedly the primary inspiration for Tarantino's unmade Star Trek movie. What do you guys think wow. that would have been like? Oh man. I could now is it, would this be with the, the Kelvin cast or what kind of cast are we talking here? I think he probably liked uh uh Kirk, so I, I would imagine so. I don't think he would be like and it's gotta be, you know, what's one of his regulars? It would be it's so gotta re- be Morgan Freeman. No, right. it's so reference heavy. I don't think it would be good. Yeah. <laughs> all, um, all he does yeah. is homage everything into one thing. That's like Yeah. Yeah. I heard that he wanted to do like a uh a uh like grittier. No, like an episode where they like are in the uh the hollow the hollow suite. Uh and oh. they, it's like a 1940s gangster Hollow Suite episode as a movie oh, or something. That's, so that's, no, we like saw a movie movie that's not Star Trek. No. Yeah. Yeah. So got he the wanted to kind of, yeah. Um, anyways. But yeah, we, we also about? have to say there's a romance subplot. They develop feelings for each other. This version of Kirk and Laon, because there's no stigma towards her, she's like, I can just be myself. And he sees her. He looks at her with the way people have never looked at her and sees the true Laon. And she's never experienced yes. that. And they kind and of let have me, a... Laon definitely fucks him, right? Yeah, they definitely... <laughs> I think in the down. hotel. Yeah. yeah. And let me go on a little rant about uh, why I like this Kirk. Uh, because... Oh, Wesley's doing a great job. Yeah. I think he's doing an amazing it job. Gets, it gets an essential thing about Kirk that a lot of people kind of misunderstand or take to an exaggerated level. But Kirk being this sort of ladies' man, 
Uh, and we even see it in the Kelvin, of course, where he's mm-hmm. sleeping around and whatnot. And that's kind of his main uh, personality trait. Are those cat ladies um, a reference to the Cybok movie, by the way? They have to be. I, I love that. I got to say that Alice Eve moment has kind of soured me on that franchise. But please yeah. keep your thoughts going, yeah. Jacob. Yeah. But so that's been exaggerated. Um, correct. But he's yes, more. He's a chess player. This, he's, yeah. No, what this gets right about him is he's not just like this like womanizer going around just sleeping with people willy nilly. He He's just he's really good at connecting with people. He's a great listener. So he, oh. he, he wants to get to know you. And because of that people are automatically like attracted to him and interested in him just, just because he's like a nice guy who's a good listener. And so I think that's kind of what modern Kirk should be. Like he's not just going around like sleeping with whoever he wants. Like he's right. He's, right. He connects with you on a level where you're like, Oh yeah, of course I would like this guy. Like he's, he's acting interested in my past and stuff. You know what I mean? Like he's, it's like, he's wow. Like superficial. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but uh, it, we get lines too, where it's like, Nobody's hitting on anybody. We're just talking. Like, I don't know what, like, he's like, yes. whoa, ease up. You know, I'm just, we're just chatting. I'm just personal. Because right? of his, his, his reputation of, you know, because he's so good at connecting with people, everyone just assumes he's like trying to hit on them or romantically interested right away. But like, we even see him, we see him connect with so many people in this season of, in the main crew, like Uhura, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, getting to know Spock better and everything. This so we see Spock. this personality yeah, coming out. several moments this season. It'll be interesting to see how many they do, but this is like the most Kirk we're getting in a single episode. So it is good to take a pause here and kind of take a look at how yeah. it goes down. And uh, again, probably should not fake have, Kirk. Fake, fake alternate timeline Kirk, but, um, yeah, yeah, just. Yeah. So I like I like Paul Wesley a lot as Kirk. He's and great. he's really winning me over to Very the point charming. where you know he may be better than Chris Pine as much we, as I think Chris Pine the spot like him as an has actor. Sailed, but yeah, I, is a, becoming a close I race. think Chris Pine just really looks at the role as a movie star role. I really mm-hmm. think he just sees it as like and of course I'm Kirk, I'm the lead whereas like you're right about what Paul Wesley's doing here because he does feel like the leader in the two minutes of screen time he gets every other episode. So that's like a great, I, I think, think the uh, empathy is really the quality to highlight, dude. I that's great. Yeah. And he also feels like, like the problem with the Kelvin universe, it's so kind of overdramatic. Uh, yeah. You know, Pine Kirk spends most of his time going between, you know, being demoted to being promoted to captain to being demoted again. It's like, we never get a sense of who he is as an actual Starfleet officer doing his work like as a responsible person so i think this kirk he's winning me over a lot and as much as i like chris pine i think i like him more in other roles maybe than than right in the kelvin and i've rewatched a couple episodes of the original series you know since we finished this thing and there's some things paul wesley will do with his body or like he'll say a line when he's not looking at someone like he'll do these things that shatner would do like physically like in the way he kind of you know, personifies like with his body, these poses and holding his arm and like, it's not doing a Shatner impression, but it's doing kind of that with his body. And it's like right. really, really cool that he can make it That's his own, but it really, it feels like that. Yeah. So yeah. keep an eye out for it if you watch more TOS, but I think it's a great um, little time travel episode. I think some people will think this is their favorite. A lot of good stuff from Lon and yeah, that's tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow 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 now we're gonna get a little goofy next episode episode. that's right so we have among the lotus eaters um shout out to the odyssey you know name of one of the chapters in that book sure hamlet was the last one right tomorrow tomorrow and tomorrow oh wow i didn't even realize that yeah that's great um yeah and this is another great episode where they're going to this 
planet. Uh, some weird. Well, is this Rigel Seven or so which Rigel? Is this? Yes. What's that? Rigel Seven? Is that what it is? I can't remember. I believe the name it of the is planet. Rigel Four or Rigel Seven. I was going to say four. Rigel Seven. You're right. Yeah. Nice. Site of an earlier unsuccessful okay. mission. Ding ding ding. Um. Yeah. So they were trying to recover uh, this guy that was a a yeoman on an earlier uh, Starfleet ship. Um. But some weird side effects happen to the landing party where they start forgetting things. They start having amnesia. Uh, and they find out that this yeoman has apparently crowned himself emperor of this planet and taken over these uh, kind of simpletons that live on this planet and yeah. uh, is controlling them. the prime directive. Yeah. So this is a take on a couple Star Trek tropes. I think primarily it's a TOS you know, standard kooky planet with a kooky thing about it. Yeah. Right? There's a situation with the planet, its atmosphere, it's going to make us do weird things. But it's also a weird take on, uh, fittingly enough, after Tomorrow, 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 Space Seed and Wrath of Khan, because we have the fallout of a failed mission where, but mm. in the past, this crew member got left. So Mike thought he was dead, but he left. Yeah. And then now that guy is upset and seeking revenge on the crew who left him there. This is right. City Alpha 5. This is totally. Rigel 7. Yeah. But also wasn't <laughs> the uh, said that. the guy was a he wasn't on um, Pike's ship, though, right? It was a different ship that had landed there earlier. Or no, it was Pike's Pike ship. Pike You're, feels personally responsible. They were he following up three people yeah. to die, not knowing one was left behind alive. Yes. And then they I will see say this also, uh, symbol, and they're like, oh, shit. Yeah. You fucked up. <laughs> this reminds me in some ways of a DS9 episode, uh, which I like a lot, where they... They're all on the, the ship, and they have some kind of... They're, so, they're examining a, an un occupied planet for scientific reasons, right? They're doing analysis. There's some kind of temporal thing in space causes Mm -hmm. their ship to crash land. And as they crash land, the previously unoccupied planet is now occupied, but it's all occupied by ancestors of all the crew members um, because of some temporal stuff that happened. Uh, The crew landed back in time, realized they were stranded on this shit on this uh, planet, had no way to communicate with Starfleet. So they're just like, well, I guess we have to live the rest of our lives here. All, you know, intermarried, had babies and everything. And over the generations, there's also some weird stuff with this planet where it's, it kind of experiences time differently. This is kind of mm-hmm. a long explanation of this DS9 episode. It's kind of a Brigadoon. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But anyways, they land on this planet. Everyone, it's now occupied by thousands of people, but they're all distant uh, ancestors of the crew members. It, right. It's a really good episode, so I would recommend checking that out, but it kind of reminds me of this episode. It gives me vibes mm-hmm. of uh, also like a sound stage. I don't know if this is volume, but it feels like a TOS, like we just put some foam rocks up, we painted the wall yes. purple, like, and I like that. Sure, it feels yeah. like that. And the cooking yes. thing here, nice and something, tight. Yeah, it's, it's classic. And it looks like a castle because the guy took it over. It's like sort of medieval-ish themed. Um, but the, the atmosphere... Fucks with your brain. If you don't wear this special hat, um, you'll forget your memories at the end of every night. So they meet a, a local who tells them, oh, you'll learn to get used to the forgetting. And we don't have our memories. So that way we don't have sorrow because if we remember the hurtful stuff, that sucks. So I'd rather not remember anything. Then they're arguing, well, we want to remember shit. So there's a little bit of that conflict. We have to face yeah. them with the yeoman. But that's kind of the general arc. Yeah. You need a special lead lined or some kind of alloy helmet yeah. or hat so that 
the whatever the radiation of this planet can affect you. Yeah. Um, I thought this was this is another one of my favorites of the season because it had a great oh, wow. sort of moral behind it. Um, I love the idea of your your life is essentially made up of your memories. Like losing your memories means yeah. losing the only record you have of your life that you lived. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why something like dementia and Alzheimer's is like so existentially yeah. yes. scary for me uh, yeah. because it's you're losing your sense of identity, your sense of self. Um, so I thought this I, so this episode was really interesting. Yeah, you get the crew waking up like not recognizing that they're even friends. Like they're in a cage together and they don't yeah. know who each other who they are, and then they start to learn. Yes. I think I was a healer. Like I think I was a doctor. I think I know how to do this. So a lot scary. Of, shadows of frat yeah scary right and for instance if you had maybe a loved one that died in the past you might think it's better to forget so that you don't remember the emotions that you felt in the morning but it actually isn't because that memory is the only thing that keeps them alive in your mind so they live on in us right you know yeah you're alive until the last person remembers you passes that kind of thing that's Uh, right so it was a very touching episode to me yeah, it I has it a good. good ensemble. It's mainly La'an, Dr. Mbanga, and the landing party. And then I guess if I had to say who the lead of the episode is, it's kind of a Christopher Pike episode. It's kind of our first yeah. where the captain Finally. is kind of in charge. Because for the first uh, couple episodes, three episodes, he was not really not involved that much. I thought maybe he yes. was shooting something to start this schedule or something or something mm, yes. where he wasn't available on set all the time. I almost wonder, Jacob, if he happened to enter a multiverse that was quite mad around this time. Uh, oh, man, sure. Maybe he's he not whispered a, a word. single word. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you guys recall the setup of uh, it shouldn't be a Christopher Pike episode, but of course, as a test pilot, he's in fact stepping in for Ortegas who has to stay on the ship. Now, let's say real quick. Yeah. Ortegas, not my favorite character. Uh, will somebody please shout out the actor? I, I don't, I do not have their name. I'll pull it. Go make your point. Um, just has not been featured as much as the other characters. Melissa right? Navia. Melissa Navia. Thank you. Erica Ortegas, who, uh, as we learn in this episode, she is the pilot of the ship. She flies. She drives the ship. She flies the ship. She drives you the guys, ship. For, you the guys ship. weren't huge fans of her. I always thought she we was We just fine. never had a chance to connect. I don't know what you mean when you say you're fine. Just the two seconds of banter she got every season one episode where she'd be like, hey, I mean, by the way, Black Hole of Death. Leaving. Uh, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, laser, laser, <laughs> thing laser. Is not every, traditionally in Star Trek, not every cast member gets like the most to do. Like sometimes you're more of a background. Like Mitchell, the woman that sits next to her. Her, yeah, she gets just kind of there. Oh, the that character has a name. <laughs> yeah, she gets to do stuff in the storybook episode, and that's it. She's like the guy. Yes, she's yeah. yes, she's kind that's of a realistic. Is, yes, that's assistant. a realistic aspect to me of if you're working on a ship. There's going to be other people that are just there in the background that maybe aren't sure, sure, sure. The story. Back to the original argument. If we had more episodes, we might get to know these characters more. But I'm happy with this episode because it's maybe the biggest Ortegas episode for the season slash the show. Large. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's the... What about uh, the... I mean, there's one episode where she's featured pretty prominently, which is the uh, one where... What's it called? I gotta look... I mean, even the finale, she gets to go even to Even that you have to you look know? it up is proving Lost in translation. That it is she was a big part memorable. of, of oh, Lost sure, in Translation. Sure. Okay, okay. That's yeah, the one where she remembers say. that she drives the ship. That's right. That's right. Okay, so we'll put a pin in that. But uh, yeah. 
she she will come back to say that once more. But this episode in particular, where we we find out that because the the crew on the ship is like, well, maybe if we go closer to this big dumbass glowing meteor, uh, everything will be okay. And they do, and in fact, that is the thing that is making everyone lose their minds. So on the ship, they are losing their memories too. She has a sequence that is so horrifying, where the mm-hmm. camera stays on her as she sort of has ship legs. Things are bad. The the ship is taking so much meter damage. Nobody knows who they are. She doesn't know who she is. She hears the computer start talking and is guided to her room. And she looks out at this big, beautiful window and she thinks everything's going to be okay. And a giant meteor crashes into the ship and she curls up screaming, I just want to be safe. I just want to be safe. Yeah. It is so relatable to somebody just having like a nervous breakdown or just like mm-hmm. high anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. Also, Colin, Absolutely. You're, complete, you're completely right. I was confusing. I was like, I was confusing that scene with a different episode. So I thought that scene happened in a different episode. So you were it's this 100% episode. right. That's no, this, yeah, this episode. episode. This episode. Yes. I fly this the ship. That's where Ortegas comes from. Ortegas episode. I fly right. the ship. She says that's right. Lock, right? The ship. Eric Ortegas. I fly the ship. Fly the She's ship. the Travis Mayweather, the, the Tom Paris, if you will, of this uh show and um as the hotshot pilot i like it but she's she's also kind of getting to maybe she can be more than just the hotshot pilot yeah and one detail i liked with this is she wanted to go down to the planet and they're all wearing the the traditional garb and she's wearing the hat and then they give her shit oh you actually put on the hat and then she's not going to bring it and it turns out the hats was the secret to the whole thing and i like that they set that up in the first act that the hat would have saved your brain dummy yes Uh, and the reason that she can't go on the landing party is because they need someone to manually drive through this asteroid field while they're going and she's the only one who can do it so she crashes a reoccurring thing where she never gets to go on landing parties because she always has to fly the ship um so yeah you're right it was was her best moment this episode for sure yeah it's a great ortegas episode um and, and she's lovely. Episode. I watched the interviews on the um, on uh, the Ready Room with Will Wheaton, and she's very charming and sweet. She seems to love playing the role. So sure, um, yeah. And I, yeah. I also uh, like the conclusion of this episode where Pike has a heart to heart with this guy and is like, "Look, you know, I fucked up. We fucked up. Like we left you behind. That's my bad. Um, but also, you did like some bad shit, and you have to come to terms with that yes. because you chose to do that." Um, mm-hmm. So I thought it was a, another great Pike way to end the episode. They could yes. have easily gone with like, you know, this guy could have been an ego, you know, a maniacal, crazy person that is just to kill you know, evil and you just have to kill him at the end. But it resolves peacefully in a way that uses just diplomacy and stuff. So love that. And Pike yeah. uh, had plans with his girlfriend, Captain, I want to say Banana. What is her name? <laughs> Captain Banana. Captain Battelle. Marie Captain Battelle. Battelle, yeah. Captain Battelle, thank you, uh, who gives him a gift, right? And it's something that he uses to focus on later, recover his memories. And later in the season, he says to her, you brought me back from a place I didn't think I could ever return from, what I didn't even know who I was. Like, he yeah. references this episode and his love for her. I oh, think yeah, that's favorite. Really cool. He's so empathetic. He's got and feelings. He's not afraid to show it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If you remember back to season one, the way they kind of introduce this relationship between Pike and Battelle, it's kind of in media res where it's like, they're already gone through some shit in the past. We don't know exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. I think some of it ties over from discovery. Um, So maybe kind of broken up. Yeah. He's making pancakes. The first time we see him, he's in a cabin. He grew his beard out. You know, he's leaving Uh Starfleet. Making our breakfast. uh, Yeah. 
So it's a lot of history there and we'll see more of Battelle later in the season as well. And that's where we get a little uh, bit of this is part episodic, part season long storytelling where we'll call back s- certain details from scenes, but you could also kind of watch these in a vacuum. But yeah, fun, fun yeah. away mission planet episode, uh, I think is a way to look at it uh, before right. uh, we go. To and five. now, now as we're going, like truly we're watching, we're texting each other every week. I think going like this thing is fucking hitting its stride. Uh-huh. These back to back rushing it so let's and i keep think rolling. with this episode five and then we'll take a quick break and round out the last five but this is really because we finally get a spock episode and i think this is when we're like wow they have done it we're halfway through and i wish we were not that far in is how i think i felt after this but this one is uh yeah jacob N- next episode is called charades like you said it's a spock episode similar to the spock episode we had in last season hijinks uh, hijinks Vulcan hijinks. Uh, Vulcan hijinks, Spock, you know? I do not care for hijinks. Um, exactly. Spring, Spock, his fiance, his betrothed, betrothed uh, <laughs> features in this one. And I got to say, I did enjoy this one, but it's not one of my favorites from the season. Um, it's good, but I don't think it's as good as last season's Spock episode where they switch places. It's a Freaky Friday situation. This one we oh, have, yeah. uh, if you remember There's that. There's some decent stuff here. Yeah, yeah, that's yes. we get the Freaky Friday one. I, I think it's the superior yeah. Spock episode, but this is a good. Well, too. say what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in this one, he Spock is basically the Vulcan DNA is removed from his body, so he is now one hundred percent human. Uh, yeah. And so he's got to deal with that, right? He's on an away mission with Chapel. They're kind of in this thing where she's got feelings for him. Like, you know, and wh- what, where is this going? I am, I am betrothed. But they're trying to work together, be professional. They get near an anomaly. And uh, when they come back out of it, um, they say he was fixed. The ship crashes or something like, oh, we repaired him. And we look There's at these higher DNA. beings. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that, it's like a non-corporeal. That- Thing. Yeah, they have a different kind of plane of existence than we do. They, so they don't exactly understand our society. So they fix the ship, but they also fix what they think is an impurity within Spock, which is that he's half Vulcan, half human. So they make him like the other one, which is Chapel, the human. So they take out his Vulcan DNA, leaving him a human. You one do not things, come with not an like instruction manual. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Like, oh my God. So as it so happens, Chapel this feels also happens that to it's be, her fault because if she wasn't in the ship. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Yes. Of course, this is a longer narrative of over the season of Chapel and Spock kind of having feelings for each other while also there's complications of Spock, of course, being betrothed to Dupring. Chapel mm-hmm. wanting it, to focus on her career over a relationship potentially. She might be going um, to college in a different state. Yeah. Yes. Character stuff, just real quick, and then you can keep going. Spock at this point has also been dabbling with having human emotions, but by this episode has decided to totally suppress them and ignore Christine uh, in an effort to truly commit to T-Brang. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you don't want to cheat on your betrothed, um, but they have this mutual attraction that they can't deny, uh, which is, again, another... Uh, interesting reference to TOS, of course, because the Chapel character in TOS, who is a much more of a background character, but there's an ongoing joke where she flirts with Spock a lot and she is attracted to Spock. So, yeah. kind of a reference to that older time period uh, when because she wasn't seen very much. Spock. Huckle Gene Roddenberry just wanted to watch right. his wife fucking have sex with somebody. Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, like with Leonard Nimoy maniacs. dressed yes. as fuck. Yes. Yeah. We don't know. Yes, good. Yes. In the 60s. Look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. There is no TOS episode 
where this plot occurs. You guys have confirmed that to me, correct? No, because no. they never go as far with Chapel and Spock other than flirtations. Basically. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean the 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 human for a day plot. No, Spock's I mean, never been made fully human yes. before like this. Yes. And of course, this also, if Even I can say the other part of the episode happens to be happening when his mother and his mother-in-law, T'Pring's mother, are coming on board for a special ritual of the of the a betrothed. super super Vulcan ritual that you really need to be a Vulcan to know how to do. That's, yeah. yeah, it's a big deal. Yes, you have to see, fucking uh, scar yourself. Uh-huh. We see his human mother, Spock's human mother, Amanda. Uh, forget her last name. Oh, that's right, Amanda Gray. I was literally Amanda about to Grayson, ask. That's, that's her what name. it is. Gr- Grayson, like Dick Grayson. Um, mm-hmm. of course, you know. I was going to say it's like before, Jean Grey. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, Amanda Grayson, human mother of Spock, married Sarek. Uh, we see her in the TOS and the TOS movies. We see her played by Winona Ryder, of course, in the Kelvin movies. Yes. And now we see this universe's version, I guess. Yes. And empathy, I guess, is the word we're just going to say this whole episode. This is him learning a lot of not hiding himself, not only embracing his his uh, Vulcan side, but his human side, seeing what his mother has gone through all these years to suppress her humanity, to raise up uh, what he believes is his Vulcan heritage. But I just went back up again. So yeah. Mm-hmm. The fact that this plot has never occurred. You're saying it's not in your top five. I'm saying charades. This episode is in one of my top five of all Star Trek episodes. Wow. Because I love this idea so much. It is so well written. And it's a trope I like. Uh, Mike, I don't know if this does anything for you. But when my brother would watch Inuyasha and Mm -hmm. he uh, a half demon, like a a half demon dog, I believe, and then man or whatever, human, uh, would have this whole year cycle where one day a year he would be fully demon. And one day a year, he would be completely human. This idea that this, you know, half and half person in society who is obviously a metaphor for so much more stuff Mm -hmm. as every one of those characters in all of, you know, creative history is, you know, having that day where it's like, I'm all this. How am I going to get treated? I'm all this type. I'm getting treated differently. Is just, I mean, it's just such a banger fucking premise. It's just fucking great. And to see it on Star Trek. And to have Ethan Peck, let's shout out the actor of the episode. Mm-hmm. Let's say the guy playing Spock, who, if you listen along to our movie episodes, we have fully committed to just sucking this guy's dick <laughs> mm-hmm. and saying, like, he is, like, one of, he just, he crushes it on Star Trek. He yeah. crushes it. Yeah, he's better than Zachary Quinto. I think we all agree yes. on that. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, my only and problem going with this. going territory Nimoy never went into, so. Yeah. But I think. I, it is a good premise. At the same time, I think they have, I mean, they've done plenty of examinations of Spock trying to come to terms with both his Vulcan and human side and coming to terms as living with half and half and uh, how do you navigate that. But this is, of course, taking it further than any other kind of plot like this has taken it in that he's becoming fully human and having to experience what it's like to be human for the first time. Yeah, we get him eating bacon and smelling basil and stuff. But I, I think if it wasn't for the actor... He puts, he puts your apron on, Mike. Yes, go ahead. Ethan Peck, this is a Spock apron too now. Absolutely. And in season one, they didn't have these clips that you'd see in the video. But in season two, they do. So this is a season two apron, you know. So I'm just saying. Incredible. Um, but without this cast, because Kate Bush also is Nurse Chapel is really strong in these scenes where she has to sneak into the bathroom and be like, I think I made an answer because she's trying to make like a 
a temporary cure to like, yo, I want you to succeed in this thing that I fucked up for hijinks. you. Hijinks. I'm sorry. Yeah, hijinks. So, um, there's yeah, all that Jess going Bush, on. I think. Jess Bush, Not sorry. Bush. I but she Kate also, Bush. but running up that hill. Yeah. Uh, she is running up that hill. But <laughs> yes, Christine, yes. Mike, just real quick to give her further action of this. The results of what's happening to Spock, him being able to express emotions for the first time, going to Christine and being like, I was avoiding looking at you the other day. That's so weird. Hugging her, you know, being physical mm-hmm. and her seeing like she she makes a very interesting choice in this episode. And I think this is very uh, well written. And I, I yeah. saw an interview uh, with the woman who directed the episode. I can't recall her name to shout her out, but I, I, mm. she intentionally made this choice, too. And I think it's great of she is falling in love with the emotional version of Spock, but. A good love story. I mean, it's that does not a good payoff if she's just kissing, you know, the the man. She needs to kiss the frog too. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we've seen her flirting with the logical Spock. So the fact that she shoots him up, he changes back, he calls off the thing, and then the kiss at the episode occurs when he is himself, not under some sort of yep. phony love potion or you know alien hijinks, all this stuff. That is a payoff. That is a that is a huge swinging gushing romantic moment that is just i mean it's in star trek and i'm watching it going like yes my two favorite characters are kissing this is i this is shipping i guess i'm into shipping now yeah but you shouldn't be shipping them because uh spock has to be with the prey have to but he actually does going to have just up to a certain point um but i I do want to say too like to your point colin uh, oh and it's jordan canning is the director of this great job um amazing this kind of results in after the ceremony, Spock tells his mom what's going on and he tells the captain. He's able to get through it. But even after they get through the ceremony and the parents approve and he tells to praying, look, I was human this whole time and it was fucking difficult, but we did it. She's like, I'm kind of upset that you thought you couldn't come to me with that. And I think we should take a break and think about this betrothal. Yes, right. And it's at that moment that Spock shows up and he gives the speech. He's like... I want to feel this. These feelings I have for you, I want to feel them. I want to explore this as a half Vulcan, half human. And that's when, yeah, we get yes. the smooch. And I think that is effective. I'll say you're one of the hottest women who's ever been on TV. <laughs> right. So, like, I have break, to do this is basically what it's like. Half, Still, I'm a... I'm a <laughs> Destroy me. <laughs> to, I'm a Tepring Spock a shipper, I guess. Um how dare you? I And I still think the season one Spock episode was stronger, the, the Freaky Friday um to, to each their but own but that is each their own, yeah. we're getting vulcan hijinks with some emotional stuff here and I, I did enjoy it but i think the cast elevates the material uh yes to i did love the uh of course the vulcan parents the mom uh oh, mom of course being yeah. the these uh mother-in-law from hell essentially and also the mother from hell hmm. like the way she raised to pring she was very uh mm-hmm. uh harsh and uh you have emotionally manipulative yeah well, you have in the ceremony a whole thing we have to say what's wrong with you what you need yeah. to do better like that's part of it it's like but you can kind of tell like the way that she raised to pring she was just very passive aggressively mm-hmm. like to pring basically couldn't do anything right in her eyes which is of course a bad way to parent um right and it kind of shows vulcans they're not perfect and and there's a lot no. of really good Trek episodes that kind of delve into uh, Vulcan culture and how they put on this air like they're so much better than everyone. They they only follow logic. But you see the ways in which uh, passive aggressively, they're not perfect. They have their own problems just like any other race, like humans or like Klingons or anyone else. Vulcan mm-hmm. society isn't perfect. There's a lot wrong with it. 
I would even compare it to something like uh, modern day Japan, where politeness kind of um, hmm. supersedes uh, real emotion and that kind of thing. So, um, there's I, so I, I like that prideful, like, yeah, there's this kind of energy that's like, yeah, they have their own conflict through logic. That's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of, and again, folly. that's also a, something that enterprise covers very well where Archer kind of doesn't like the Vulcans because they're so snobbish and pretentious and essentially think of Stoic. humans as lesser than them. Right. Uh, but they do it in such a polite, passive-aggressive way that you can never really call them on that. You just kind of have to accept their little quips and barbs and stuff. Dig so that, yeah. I love examining Vulcan culture. I think they're such an interesting uh, race in Star Trek and the world building around them. Probably my f- my favorite alien race of all of Star Trek. So wow, wow. Yeah. And now now we know how to do the tea ceremony. That's right. Yes. So do we're you, learning a lot do of you think you guys could grab that scalding hot thing? Never. <laughs> no, I would. I would not. No. No. I'm just so strong enough to lift hot. it in general. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. I'd be like, ow, my hands burn. I have friends who grab like shit off the stove with like their bare hands. I'm like, how do you? I'm so scared. Anyway. Yeah. Um, that's. But crazy. it is great to get more Vulcan culture. Oh, hello. Is that? It's like Spot. Uh, I just had a cat appearance <laughs> on YouTube. Sorry, I just had a. No, that was a triple mic. Oh, that's right. Right. Careful. Don't, don't, don't feed them. Don't feed them after midnight. It. I was going to say, don't get it wet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, some of that Vulcan stuff, if we didn't explore it, it would get lost in translation, which is the name episode six that we're going to dive into right after this. Ooh. In my- We're back. We've been boldly going and exploring some strange new worlds here mm-hmm. with season two on Normies Like Us. Uh, That's right. Let's keep going. Let's talk episode six, season two. Episode there. six. We're halfway through this one. Lost in Translation, directed by Sofia Coppola. Uh, just kidding. But what? Uh, <laughs> I'm referencing <laughs> oh, the movie wow, Lost in Translation. Really Speaking of got. Japan earlier, just um, to throw it back. But, yes. but Jacob, didn't you tell us on pod or off pod, didn't somebody from Blair, the original Blair Witch direct an episode of Strange New Worlds this season? Have we hit one Did of those I yet? I tell you that? I don't think I, 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 I think I maybe. Is that, is that a fact? Oh, maybe that's a fact that. I'm making up, in fact. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Not fair something enough. I was aware of, but... but um, sure. Yeah, so lost, lost translation. Now this is a Uhura focused episode. This is oh, another. Right. This is a classic trope of uh, someone on sh- on board is experiencing weird symptoms, hallucinations. Uh, something's wrong with them. They go to sick bay. They can't figure out what's wrong. Blah blah blah. Been done many times. Beta, why did you put that mask on? What are you doing? <laughs> why did you do that? Right. Yeah. Um, I like this episode. Oh, Brian, I think you were never a, uh, gone. What? It's a, I wasn't. <laughs> um this episode is again i think one of the weaker ones of the season not to say it's bad or anything but just not my favorite uh but it is an uhura focused episode i like uhura as a character it's, i like this actress yeah yes nayota is the greatest um it's the return of hammer which is interesting i think maybe the weakness of it it's the second episode literally in a row the last one the spock one where we're dealing with uh, fifth or fourth dimensional aliens that are like beyond our comprehension that are like, we're doing a thing and we messed up a thing. And you're like, okay, right. well, we, do we get can't see you. We don't really know what's going least. on. So huh. it's not great. 
Yeah, here we have Uhura experiencing these hallucinations, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, she's seeing dead people from her past, including her parents and Hemmer, uh, who she was she was getting very close with in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, it's damn corn. Of course, uh, this is also when Enterprise is uh, near a deuterium field in space, I guess, and they're they're making this uh, refinery, right? A deuterium refinery. Deuterium is the uh, mineral that is used to make basically warp engine fuel. Uh, is mm, yeah, the normy way to explain it? Yeah, or gas. Yeah, we struck oil out in here, and we got to refine it. Putting yeah. a pump out here. So this deuterium, it by building this gas station in space, essentially they're uh, making it easier to travel. And this is kind of far on the edge of uh, Federation space. Uh, so it's kind of like a pit stop before you go into sort of unexplored space, right? Is the way mm-hmm. it's kind of described. So by having this station here, they're opening up more lanes into further space that they can explore. So it's a very strategically important location. Um, but as it turns out, there is this alien race living in the deuterium that they're essentially killing by refining this deuterium into fuel and so these these aliens are trying to communicate with us through these hallucinations that uhura is experiencing and saying stop you're killing us you're killing us stop basically so it's kind mm-hmm. of a dark premise too uh where they're just killing these people without knowing them uh but what did you guys think of this episode yeah colin it was fine. I until you said that thing about uh, Nyota's parents, I could not remember that Uhura's parents were dead. Dude, what does she say yes. in the episode? What does she, she reveal? I cannot even recall. Well, this was revealed in season one, but she also has a tragic backstory where her family uh, died. I forget how, but she was basically raised remember. by her grandmother. Um, yeah, I would have to look that up because I don't remember. But sure. yeah. yeah, but that's. Dead. Kind of how parents. I feel about this episode in general. It, it's yeah. just I cannot remember. I don't. Know. It's one of the weaker, not, not ones. one of the best. No, it's it's a Star Trekky Star Trek episode. I mean, it feels like some TNG. We get the moral like they they can only communicate through her brain waves or some. You know, that's why it's yeah. showing up as people she knows and these emotions yeah. of right. death, like She's you're killing us, zombie hammer, basically. Yeah. Um, um. But she figures out that's a language, and it's like you got to trust me. There's something living in here. So the the end. It's like. Well, we can't build our gas station here. I guess we'll leave them alone. You know, Star, yeah. Star Trek stuff, you know? And I will say, it's yeah, it's reminiscent of other episodes of the season because I was confusing the Ortega scene from Among the Lotus Eaters with being in this episode for some reason because they're both dealing with mm-hmm. mind, a brain like radiation. Amnesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. also, that's fair. This is this first of two more Uhura focused episodes in like almost a row with the Substace Rhapsody episode being. I told you that's a sneak attack. That's. Yeah. But they, they're both yeah, they her, her job yes. as a communications officer, knowing languages, yes. learning to communicate in different ways. They're kind of both dealing with that. Mm-hmm. And she's so it's, it's, out it's what's her stepping, place on the ship, you know? Yeah. So maybe the weakest stepping episode. Stepping the fancy AirPod Mike likes. Right. Yeah, yeah, love it. Right. Love it. I love that thing. Um, so yeah, next that's, episode, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think this is one of the ones we were most looking forward to. Absolutely. So this is those old scientists, directed by Jonathan Frakes himself. Number one, uh, Riker. Just a real quick setup. Um, Comic Con. They have a big panel. They're like strange new worlds because obviously Paramount Plus comes. This this episode's not supposed to be out yet. They reveal. They say like we're going to screen it for everybody. But even better, 
we are releasing it the second this panel is done. So we all got to watch this like a week early, if you guys recall. It oh, pushed wow. up the finale and everything. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So we had two episodes in a week, uh, which was good because the last one, again, was not the strongest of the season. Um, but then this one comes in, and this is, of course, the Lower Decks Strange New Worlds crossover. It yeah. was announced uh, pre this season even coming out. And uh, yeah, I think everyone was looking forward to it. And of course, Lower Decks is an animated show. So we're like, oh, how are they going to do that? Um, and of course, what they do by that is having Jack Quaid and Tawny Newsom, who play Boimler and Mariner, respectively, on Lower Decks, uh, acting as their characters in live action. And it works really well because they both look a lot like their animated character. Yeah, uh, yes, they do. And so, yeah, let's get into this episode because I thought it was fucking great. This may be my favorite episode hey. of the season. Yeah. Colin, you're yes. the advocate you... for this. So, yeah. I Well, Jacob said tomorrow, tomorrow, and tomorrow. That's kind of where I'm at, too. That's I'm up like, there, That's too, so yeah. good. But I guess those old scientists goes above it because, guys, yes, Mike, this is my favorite Trek meeting my favorite live action Trek, I guess. Yeah, um, right. Lower you love Decks. Lower Decks. It's the greatest. I told you guys I ordered a Strange New World shirt that is animated by the company that does Lower Decks animation, Titmouse. Um, and there's just a really cool shirt on their website right now that has the the whole cast mm-hmm. at the end as we get them uh, fully animated. But to start this thing off where, you know, the first, the you know, the prologue, because, of course, Star Trek five act episodes, prologue, epilogue, the prologue is animated beyond that. We get animated credits of these mm-hmm. strange new world credits as right. well. And even that fucking knocks it out of the park. Animated in the style of the Lower Decks credits, which I think yes. are also really well done. Uh, and yeah, so we start, it's essentially a Lower Decks episode to start where we see all our favorite characters, including the other two friends, uh, Eugene Fendi. Cordero and uh, I think it's Tendi. The most, yeah, Tendi is the most important one. I have yeah. a cat named Fendi, my bad. <laughs> Tendi. <laughs> um, Tendi, yeah, who is a an Orion and one of the only Orions in Starfleet, which is... And a lot of people are uh, prejudiced and they think Orions are only pirates and that's not right. true and it's never... They just mind. mostly are. Think like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, we just <laughs> mostly are. <laughs> and of course, uh, we had the big show playing a uh, Orion in Enterprise. So yes. that's always fun. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. He's so an Orion big. slave trader. Um, we got those great Orions in oh. the episode last uh, season too. So they are always right. pirates. <laughs> Traditionally, they're, yeah. I mean, but you know, as, as it progresses, we're going to play with that in this episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but they find this portal on this random planet uh, and some hijinks ensue. Boimler ends up going through the portal and he is in, uh, portaled back to about 150 years because Lower Decks takes place post uh, Voyager. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go back to those old scientists time, right? Which is TOS, of oh, course. Scientists. <laughs> A very funny reference to call to how this time is called the TOS. Why do you call it that? Well, Ransom calls it that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and of course, these are historical figures uh, in Starfleet history. Pike, Captain Pike, you know, uh, Una, all these different peoples go on to do many, yes. many famous things in history. And Boimler being a huge Starfleet history nerd, because he, that is his character basically on mm-hmm. Lower Decks. Uh, 
he knows everything about them basically and he, this is like he's, his dream come true getting to meet his yes, hero he's the perfect character to experience this now it's jack quaid as you said and jacob as you said as well jonathan franks directs this episode so a yes. great interview with him number one himself where he said hey i was on tng they treated it like fucking shakespeare you said every word that was written right this episode heavily comedic they right away deal you know say like we're not even gonna like pretend that this is an episode where you have to walk around and be like i'm you know your aunt from this thing i'm not you know from the future like no no no. everybody admits to that immediately we're Mm -hmm. just gonna have fun with this and because of their background tawny and jack specifically improv heavy Jonathan Frank said, like, you know, we've never seen anything like it on Star Trek. We're having fun. We're cracking jokes, a lot of unscripted stuff. Mike, what did you think about this? I know you love Jack Quaid. Yeah, I'm a big Jack Quaid fan. You know, uh, the boys, you know, we're fans of that. And um, he screamed. Remember when he screamed? Yeah, yeah. It's um, for three seconds. (laughs) Classic boiler scream. Uh, Yeah, I'm a bigger fan of his uncle. But uh, yeah, like, fair enough. No, but I was excited. (laughs) Not his dad. Not his mom. No, his Randy Quinn, right. baby. Heck yeah, Independence Day. ID um, four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, those four scientists. Um, I, I was looking forward to this because Colin, you got me to finally watch Lower Decks, and I agree, it's super, super good. And and Mariner and Boimler, their chemistry is very charming. The rest of the crew is great. So getting to see them in live action, I was wondering how it would translate, and I think it translates really well. And uh, yeah. yeah, they just own up to it. We're from the future. And they're like, okay, you can't say anything about the future to us. And the comedy between, oh man, Worf's on or like, oh, shit, what's that? Nothing. Never oh, mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's nobody. It's yeah. fun. And what I like is, uh, you know, Lower Decks has this sort of more exaggerated comedic style, of course, uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as an animated, more comedic Trek show. And I think um, Jack Quaid and Tony Newsom really keep that energy here. And so it's essentially like two lower decks characters coming into this start strange new worlds universe where the tone is very different and but they're still being themselves and the whole crew is just having to react to these two insane people that they've met it's almost uh yeah well like in the future 150 years in the future after voyager and stuff it's like it's so mundane too like this is early days of human space exploration so like you can have goofballs in space but here it's like we need only like the best of the best but in the future it's like you kind of just have a job out there and keep on mind you know in lower decks the ship that they follow in lower decks is like the second uh you know it's like the second level of contact like enterprise goes to make first contract they come back for second contact drop off supplies and shit yeah yeah (laughs) so they're kind of like the janitors of starfleet going around doing the the work that no one wants to do and now Um, they're on the flagship of the the historical ships and if, it's incredible yeah, and of course mariner you know there's a whole storyline where she could be doing more important things so she's really good uh at her job but just doesn't care and likes to goof off and stuff so that's why she's on yeah. this ship that's captained by her mom blah 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 anyways they show up in strange new worlds pike and the rest are having to react more of this as like the straight men to these wacky hijinks characters and i and i just love it so much because um yeah it's just it's just boimler being a nerd and being like, oh, and you're, you're freaking, uh, you're a Hoomera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's just like an more, like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> more very strong writing for me because I feel like this is another show that sort of in the way you were talking about Orville Jacob, where it Trojan horse den, where it's like, yes, 
we will make a Rick and Morty Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of isn't what it is. Thank you, Jesus Christ. That's Star both of you. That's a one Rick and Morty Star. I, yeah, That's right. Mike, if you break it, we summon <laughs> Beetlejuice. Um, it, and instead, it's like what that show is. It's not like irreverent and goofy and stuff. It's a very meta show about Star Trek. It's sort yeah. of the premise of Lower Decks is like, how can we pay homage, love, and crack jokes at the entire Star Trek universe? And I don't know, bringing that over here, it's like, like you're saying, yes, they're, they're capturing it so well. But to take the plot of the episode to be like, it's the ultimate nostalgia bait. We're going to cross over a guy who loves Star Trek from a show about kind of laughing about Star Trek to a Star Trek everybody loves. But the plot by the end of it really is like nostalgia silly. Like you guys would be as excited to meet the Enterprise crew, and they're all like, "Yeah, Captain yeah. Archer oh, Captain would be." Archer? Yeah, like, and they're like, yeah. well, "We Mayweather sound like this pilot. idiot, don't we?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and like the way that it's like, it's kind of like, and this sucks to reference. Uh, to shout out a what I think is a good Woody Allen movie, but mm-hmm. if you've ever seen Midnight in Paris, Owen Wilson has this incredible speech where he's like. Or the revelation of the film where he's like, every time period he travels back to, those artists are like, we're not the real artists. The real artists were the guys 10 years ago. You know, it's right. that that grass is always greener or you're never part of the big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just think it's like a really cool premise for them to sort of like shout that out and be like, no, it's just kind of dumb to think about any of this. Go do your thing and just be really good at it. And, and instead you have Boimler and like Mariner like staying true to who they are solving yeah. a crisis and then going back to their goofy little world. So perfect. Yeah. And I think the strength of lower decks really is that, like you said, it starts out as a more it's Rick and Morty star Trek, but you get to know these characters and especially like Mariner has such an interesting backstory uh, that's developed over time in the show. And like Boimler, like all these characters, they have more to them than you first think. Um, and I just like how they really kept that going in this episode um, and then, of course, you have, you know, the Una, po- like, oh, he had a poster of you in his locker and stuff like that's yeah. all great. Um, so there's just a lot to like here. And again, if you're a fan of like Trek referencing other Trek, as it tends to do a lot, like this is the episode for you because it's a lot of that. But it's it's really fun. This is our the trouble with Tribbles. Like this is our big crossover. It's yes. just in good yes. fun. It's just in good fun. Don't rack your brain. But there are some good emotional moments too. We get Boimler slipping uh, the wrong line to Chapel, and then that gets her upset. And that leads to her crushing her relationship with Spock going forward. So there's some story beats happening too. Um, we learn that Mariner like picked the mission because she knew Boimler would want to see the portal, but she's pretending like she doesn't care. That kind of stuff is all great. So a lot of fun, a lot of fun with TOS. Yeah. With Boimler, you know, with Spock, this is ongoing, the Spock chapel arc where it's like, will they, won't they, will they, won't they? Uh, And And Spock is using his human emotions now. Right. And Boimler's like, that's not the guy I read about. And that's like his hero is Spock. Right. And essentially Boimler's like, oh, I know that Spock will not end up with nurse chapel because that, would have been something I knew from history. Um, but he can't expressly say that because I would again be breaking the temporal prime directive. So he's kind of got to hint at it without revealing anything too much. It's even on accident. He's like, Spock, this isn't how Spock normally behaves. Like in, in from what I've read and then chapel internalizes that is I'm why he's behaving weird. And that seems yes. right. off of the prime timeline. But uh, yeah, 
So it's not just also, Goofy, Tani calls a- him. Oh, yeah, what? Sorry, Tani calls him Hot Spock three times. She's like, Hot Spock. Hot Spock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, I love when the, the crew is like, are, do their references seem really specific to you? Um, because they're just referencing <laughs> things that happened in other yes. Star Trek shows. Um, Nonstop. Boiler is us. Yeah. He's the fan insert. Like, we love Absolutely. it all. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what he is in Lower Decks, where he's just like a nerd of Starfleet who joins mm-hmm. Starfleet and is just obsessed with every aspect of it. And this is it. I mean, we couldn't. You couldn't get another episode like this, right? No, no. They way. could always, so. uh, in the future, have some way to bring them back, just to maybe do something else with the story. But it might not be as good. A second, we time. have time, police. You could figure it out. But I would, I would prefer this be a one and done. DS9 yeah. didn't go yeah. back to TOS ever after that. But I think no. this is a great, delightful episode, and it's a nice, light-hearted episode because the next episode we're going to get is a lot heavier, and maybe my favorite episode of the season, and that's episode eight here. Okay, yeah. Episode eight, we have Under the Cloak of War. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we're in that title. Yeah. yeah. Return of the Very Klingon. Very DS9. Uh, like, this and of course, DS9. Yes. And this is dealing again with the Klingon War, which is sort of a recent conflict in history. Um, and we have this Klingon ambassador character who was apparently this general in the war who did a lot of bad stuff, uh, but then surrendered to the Federation and was made an ambassador uh, because he agreed to cooperate with them, right? But, of course, Dr. Mbenga knows him from his time in the war and knows that he's actually a bad guy, and so he's got to deal with that. And this is a great Mbenga episode mm-hmm. uh, and, of course, Chapel as well. So, what do you guys think? Yes. Yeah. Well, since this is probably my favorite, like, I, I texted you guys even before I finish it without details, like this episode is going for an Emmy, like the, the writing, the acting, it, it's very dark, very heavy, but I, I love it. I love the kind of Umbenga and the ambassador were on opposite sides of the same battle and he's a medic. So he's dealing with triage and trying to keep the soldiers alive as a result of his butchery. And then now he's an ambassador. So how do I manage my emotions? Same thing with chapel. They have the shared trauma of being at that yeah. battle. Um, very well done. Nuance, uh, incoming transport. Are you kidding me? That's like the scariest two words now. Yeah. And we see flashbacks to the Klingon war. And again, very DS9 heavy uh, vibes where in season six of DS9, you had the Dominion War. One particular episode where Nog uh, goes to the front line of the war and sees a lot of like fucked up shit and like loses his leg yeah. uh, in a battle and has to deal with PTSD after that. And it's like, crazy stuff and so this that this episode reminded me a lot of that episode yeah this is the darkest season Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and we learned a lot about why mbenga was able to fight the klingons in the first episode he's made the serum that was now made illegal and he gets these spec ops guys who are like come on you got the stuff we got to beat these klingons he's like i don't have any more secretly he does and when he's at his breaking point boy does he break it's against the geneva connection uh convention of space basically right um And another DS9, not to bring it up again, but uh, there's a season one episode where um, Major Kira uh, has to... There's there's a Cardassian former general now sort of peace uh, activist for the Cardassians that comes to the station and she's got to like deal with that. It's called uh, Duet, I believe. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a very strong episode of DS9 as well. There's also some moral stuff like Pale Moonlight. You know, it's a great DS9 episode. Pale Moonlight, one exactly. of the best. Um, yeah. And yeah, you, you learn that there's 
like in Benga had to do immoral things he felt because he had no choice. And there's a guy, the butcher of whatever the battle is. We think it's the general, but it was actually Mbenga who killed all the general's underlings and the general escaped. And as a coward, he's been assuming the name, the butcher for clout or whatever, but actually yes. he ran away. And, and so there's this whole thing going on and they have a conflict at the end and they don't really give you a clear answer to what happened. And it's just, uh, there's a lot of well, heavy, and it ends stuff. with, uh, Mbenga kills the ambassador, right? He has we a, don't know who started the fight, but the ambassador is dead. no, yeah. But he's he's has this conflict inside of him where he's like, he he wants to, he thinks it's right that he should kill the ambassador, but also obviously it's against the law. And if he was found out, he would get kicked out of Starfleet. Obviously, he would be probably in jail. So he's got to like deal with that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Have you seen with Chris? Where it's so like, I don't know who started the fight, but I'm not up sad that he's dead. That's basically what he says. Yeah. Dr. Joseph Mbenga, who you guys had to tell me is also a character from the original series. I, I was not aware of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, shout out to ba- to Babs Olusenmuken, I believe, uh, who, you know, in that first season had that through line of my daughter is in the buffer zone. I'm kind of sad. I got to find this thing. They right. resolved that much quicker than I ever thought they would. And then it was mm-hmm. like, okay, who is this guy? And he was kind of always only just a peg over Ortegas for me, where it was like, I don't dislike them. Again, I just don't really know them that well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, I mean, now, one, Ortega is all the way up here. <laughs> and two, Mbenka, I, I love as well. He's just a cool guy with an even more developed, interesting background. You really understand his and Christine's dynamic about, like, why they are so dependent on each other. Yeah. Um, Shout out to uh, Clint Howard, who's in this episode. And I believe I told you guys off pod was like in an original episode of Star Trek as like he's a been an eight year old or something Enterprise. like that. According to yeah. trivia, he's been in every series, right? Is that what we determined? Oh, wow. Like oh, I didn't know that. Know That's every, cool. Or the most series. Yeah, he's been in a lot. Might not be in I mean, everybody. He's been in the most. Other than uh, sure, Jeffrey Coons who else alive would be? Tony Todd. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, they weren't in TOS. Yeah, no way. Uh, no, Walter Koenig, been, I mean, yes. Yeah. Like, but I'm still alive, people? No, come on. There's yeah. a uh, there's an Enterprise episode uh, where four uh, Ferengi invade the Enterprise. And this is years before Starfleet or the Federation uh, discovered the Ferengi. So there's this unknown unknown alien species to the, to the crew of the Enterprise. But one of them is played by uh, Clint Howard. One of them is played by... Perfect Ferengi. Um, the mm-hmm. guy that plays... Uh, Oh, now I'm blanking on the name. I can't remember the um oh, the the quark quark Neelix Neelix and Voyager. Oh, the Neelix actor uh, and Frankie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is one of them, and one of them is uh uh I don't. Know, they're all sorry. They're I should have done. I should have looked it up right, before man. I started this story. <laughs> but uh, there are four cameos from other Star Trek. Oh, one of them is Jeffrey Combs, of course. Right there uh, we go. So, the anyways, goat. the point is, um, yeah, Clint Clint Howard has been in other roles in star trek incredible. Another star trek trope. i love it but yeah and uh, my name is buck okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we also see again that the pattern buffer thing here in the season one this is where he gets the idea to hide his daughter yeah. because they hide somebody's pattern in the buffer so someone they can't yeah they can't get to him right he needs emer- immediate surgery basically to live they can't get to him because they have to do all these other patients so they stick him in the buffer eventually they have to delete his pattern because they need they have more people coming in so they have to sacrifice this person to potentially save many other people and christine can't right? push the button and benga does and she says what do we do and he says we saved lives so 
yeah. incredible episode about the difficult choices you have the to make. The needs of the many. Of, uh, wait, right? it's the few or one. So, classic so, stuff, heavy stuff, the heaviest episode yeah. this season. But uh, Great I, I episode like a and a strong uh, guest actor of the Klingon oh. ambassador uh, who is oh, a guy yes. that was in The Wire. And as I said to you guys off pod, like anytime an a-, a supporting actor from The Wire pops up in anything, I love it because uh, it has a so- very solid cast. Um, so next up, dinner right? scene, the rival general Chang's in the movie. Like there's a great tension at that dinner scene where they show up to support the captain. But as we said, uh, moving on two two to go. Uh, yeah. Also, so, real quick, shout out to Lance Reddick, the best of them who was a, a guest star from the wire who loved Star Lance Trek Reddick. and never got to do it. Oh, so fucking oh, was he one never of the in best, it? one of the best Lance never Reddick and out. Michael K. Williams, uh, two of my favorite actors in the wire both died recently. So Guys, RIP to them. Come on. Uh, um, but on a lighter note, we have mm. episode nine, Subspace Rhapsody. The the, the fabled yeah. musical. We heard about it. There was whispers of it coming. Um, yeah. The once yeah, more and- with feeling. Uh, you know, this is a trope, of course, that's been done not just in Trek or not in Trek before, but in many other shows such as Buffy. Uh, most famously, Scrubs is one I can think of. Yep. Um, sure. I'm sure there are others. Oh, I hope uh, they do a puppet episode, Jacob, of Star Trek. <laughs> oh, we're in the yeah, puppet real anomaly. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the puppet spheres open. Now, I watched, um, I have been keeping my beloved Pluto TV on, uh, which, of course, has Star Trek channels as it's a Paramount affiliate. Mm-hmm. And they've been marathoning the original episodes. Mirror Mirror, the original uh, Mirror Universe episode was on the other day, and it involves Ohura singing a song. I was like, there's fucking been musicals in Star yeah. Trek before. And it's been established to sing. <laughs> so or be, no, yeah, okay. maybe it's not great. a full, full musical episode. But yeah, this is yeah. Uh, essentially some weird, wacky uh, space anomaly happens, and everyone starts communicating in musical numbers and not just, you know, not just song, but like Broadway universes. Some of them Mm -hmm. take place in musicals. So that's why it's happening here. So, okay. See you guys later. (laughs) Well, what happens actually is they're, you know, her is trying to communicate. They end up uploading the, the works of Gilbert and Sullivan or something. Right. I forget what it is exactly. But that's why it's likes, but yeah. Yeah. That's why it's trained on the modern American musical. Um, so that's how it's essentially communicating. And essentially every time anyone in the crew has an emotional response in some way, they start communicating their emotions in song without the ability to control it. And this of course is a huge security factor in Starfleet. Yes. So, uh, brought up by lawn. Now um, there's been kind of mixed feelings about this, even between us, all of us, I think are either kind of like it was good or it was Okay. Mm-hmm. I lean towards the the good side, the higher side of the spectrum, because I think if this episode highlights what the rest of the season does well, too, it's the fact that I believe everything that everybody does in this episode, when Laon is having her character moments in this and how she's acting, I believe that is the same Laon that she's written the exact same level that she still has, like the integrity of the character that the writing is providing that Christine does in the rest of the stuff and, you know, having her sort of romantic triangle this whole episode mm-hmm. or this whole season. Uh, it's not like I even need payoff to any of that. I just think there's great consistency with how they're acting, even when they're fucking singing. That's incredible. Yeah. I will say, you know, it's a fun one-off idea, but also they still act true to their characters. And uh, it's an interesting story, not just a musical episode, but there's an actually yeah. 
interesting narrative things happening. And essentially, it's a vehicle to wrap up some of these relationship threads that yes. developed this season. Uh, like you said, Chapel and Spock, Laon and Kirk, mm-hmm. Pike and Battelle are all having some kind of relationship or communication and problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you said that. Pike and Battelle. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Uhura also trying to find her place in the crew. Um, and this is a big Uhura episode, as it turns out. Yeah. Um, and Celia Rose Gooding, uh, Celia Rose Gooding, a Broadway uh, starring actress, uh, incredible voice. And I think everyone's doing their best here. I think clearly Uhura and La'an are the standouts in terms La'an's of... La'an's a yeah, singer. Singing Karina Chong, it sings in real life. She yes, she makes music. Uh, uh, like I said, Celia Rose Gooding was... Uh, on the on uh broadway you said broadway. jagged little hill the musical yes that's said. right she was in the alanis morris musical <laughs> jagged little pill which i didn't think was a thing but it was also written by diablo cody uh writer of juno uh, isn't and other that movies. ironic that's right yes so it's like rain uh, on your wedding day it's <laughs> that's right it's it's so ironic um <laughs> I think and, this is iconic more than it is ironic, you know? That's right. There we go. There I we liked go. it a lot. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of musicals, but I am probably more than an average person. I like good musicals. Like, I like, uh, and I like having the, you know, going from a very, very serious Klingon War episode to um, now the cast just having fun singing musicals. Like, that just shows you the variety <laughs> of different tones that this show can do and do well. Yeah, yeah, it's it can it covers the entire spectrum of of Trek and tone and and for I saw a lot of old heads like I'm in Star Trek forums and stuff just curiously and a lot of the old heads are like I'm not watching a musical episode of Star Trek that's dumb I'm like you're dumb like yeah, Strange New dumb. Worlds isn't Star Trek's too much canon continuity breaks I'm like stop caring about that because the show is delightful so yeah, some people I think they go out of their way yeah. to fit canon as much as they can. Stop and so people that. who care more yeah. about canon than good story, I just don't understand what you want in a Star Trek show because narrative should always trump world building or canon lore. Like narrative is always more important. Uh, so yeah, yeah, and I like this. Up getting yeah. that payoff, like they've they've been teasing. We've had a couple visits from uh, our Kirk. Like Lon has reached out to him to do a security check just to talk to him. And she has the in disguise it as, hey, I just had a weird inconsistency. And then he comes on the ship and they interact more. And she has to kind of hide this thing that she's been through because the time police said hide it. And when she sings yeah. her song, it's very heartfelt. And then, you know, we learn that, uh, you know, he's got... Uh, <laughs> He's got a kid on the way and he can't be with her and he, he appreciates right. what he's, she's been through and stuff like that. He's like, I know this lady named Carol Marcus. Uh, we have an on again, off again relationship, but right now we're on again and she's pregnant. Uh, which we're, is crazy the that future. they're acknowledging all the of this. The future, dog. Yeah. Take me to the right? future where everybody is so relaxed. He's like, sometimes I date this girl. Right now I am because... She's pregnant. I fucked her baby into her. Yeah, so we're we're on. But yeah, we wrap um, all this up. Chapel decides to go on the science excursion and she's gonna go join the science academy. And you know, so yes. all this stuff kind of comes yeah. to the head here. Essentially and, the the yeah, the wrap up of every one of these relationship arcs is oh, we shouldn't do this. It's not a good idea. And it's mostly focusing on career over relationship where Chapel says this opportunity is really important. I'm gonna pick that over this potential ratio with Spock. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Kirk wanting to be, you know, dutiful to Carol and also his, his job. So like, I think that's a really interesting message of like these people in Starfleet, like they, to them, like furthering their career in Starfleet is more important right now than a romantic relationship would be. Yeah. Like Picard has that later down the line too, but uh, yeah. yeah, and we, we, you know, we all have to sing together to solve the problem. Basically you have to just fly backwards and sing and you'll close the eye. Some space BS. Boy. No, Mike, Mike, when Come it's on. literally said like, and everybody in Starfleet, we all have to have we need our a grand big moment. Finale. It's a oh, we get a K-pop a thing with the Klingons. Klingon yeah. pop. Now we get the return of Hemmer who plays that lead Klingon and, mm-hmm. and we tease it. We see the Klingons again. The joke that they are K-pop, that yeah. they are doing this ridiculous different style that's happening to them. And basically, Starfleet's like, turn it off. We've got our own thing to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Very funny. Yeah. The yeah and I also like that. Uh, yeah. They're, they're like this this dishonorable thing because Klingons already sing like sea shanties, essentially, on their ships and stuff as established in TNG. But yeah. for them to sing this K-pop type song, they would see that as dishonorable because it's... Not what like, Klingon music usually is. It just flew over my head that it was Klingon pop and that was the K-pop joke. And I was like, oh my oh, God. Oh, sure. It was right yeah, in front of us. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that until it's just so right now. It's yeah. so good. I too am um, stupid. Yeah. Yes. And I've, I thought the, the explanation for why this is happening, it's done in a way that makes a lot of sense in Star Trek. You know, you just throw some jargon at it. But uh, And I yeah. loved Spock's number as well. I thought... Ethan Pecky might not be the best singer, but I, I love the the message that it's conveying where he has to, and he's thinking of in terms of variables, like X is equals whatever, right? X is the mm-hmm. variable. And then he realizes I'm the variable that's causing this problem for chapel and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, really, really good execution of a musical one-off episode. And I enjoyed it. And Uhura finds Secret her place. to me. Yes, she makes the connection. Secret Santa yes. to me was uh, Rebecca Romaine, who gets two songs, and, and mm-hmm. one of them says, like, you know, in another life, I would have liked to sing musicals. And you're like, oh. Yep, that, that's right. Because she, she sung a musical to Spock and when they were locked in the turbo lift in one point in season one. Right. So we know she likes those. By the uh, way, that's right. just yeah. to mention this on pod, uh, for the These Old Scientists episode... Rebecca Romaine, of course, is married to the first officer of Lower Decks, uh, Jerry O'Connell, Cap- Jack Ransom. Cap- or mm-hmm. Lieutenant Ransom, yes. Yeah. And they do reference that uh, a little bit in that episode where he's like, oh, yeah, I had her poster when I was younger and stuff. So, very funny connection Always thought there. she was the hottest number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Like, well, yeah her or Riker? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, Riker was... Riker was a bit of a ladies' man. Back right. in his uh, day. Back in his day. <laughs> Playing so, the fucking saxophone for you. Shut up. Damn. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Quiet old man. It. Um so that's just, so, so that's episode nine, a big musical number. Uh and then of course we also had the intro, which is a musical rendition of the intro credits. They did it uh, a cappella. Like that's right. Yeah. It's customized. Um Credits. So. That's right. Yes. The third uh, f- variation of the credits, original, yeah. animated. Now we get musical. Fantastic. Yeah. Very So cool. that's Subspace Raspity. And then we have episode 10, the big mm-hmm. finale. Uh, and so here we are. Eat yeah. a belly full of delicious food. At this Champagne point, yep. down. I'm wearing my comm badge. We sit down and we go, well, we got to turn on this incredible finale. Mm-hmm. And what a fucking blast we had. Hit us, hit us. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah, well, this is hegemony. Uh, I believe it is Hegemony. Yeah. 
and uh, I corrected hegemony. you on uh, <laughs> one actress's on Ninja Turtles, and I was wrong, so I should never speak that. <laughs> hey, I have problems right. with uh, pronunciation. That's why I always try to listen to how someone else is saying it on YouTube or something. And if somebody gets um, it wrong, though, don't make fun of them because that just means they learned it by reading. That's right. Yes. Please don't light um, me up for saying Dr. Mbenga's real name. Yeah. That was a true moment of vulnerability for me. Uh-huh. I'm going to say hegemony and stick to it, but say whatever you like. Sure. There we go. But we so get of course, a, we had yeah. hints of this with... Uh, so, we had Captain Battelle, captain of the captain USS Cayuga, mm-hmm. uh, who is like, last week was like, all right, Pike, I'm off to this planet on the edge of Federation space. It's a colony. I'm sure nothing will go wrong. Uh, bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Uh and then we, we, what we get is the, uh, of course, the big Gorn invasion episode. And this is obviously a lot of zombie uh, movie tropes happening here, as well as the Western town being attacked by some force. The sheriffs have to, you know, defend the town, blah, 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 kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, what are we thinking, guys? What are we thinking? Very John Carpenter, very, you know, Assault on Precinct yes. 13, which is yes. sort of a zombie film as well. Um, I Is it okay if I just say real quick, you know, not yeah. to bury the lead, but we're introduced to somebody in this episode who... That's right. Boy, it's, it's an interesting balance because we've talked about it off pod. We'll all introduce the conversation now about how many original characters should start appearing in this thing. I don't know what's the strength of it, but boy, was I happy to see a little man named Montgomery Scott in this episode. Mm-hmm. Hello, I'm Montgomery Scott. Montgomery Scott. Oh, what are we out here? Oh, oh, lordy, lordy. We have this guy come in with a strong... He's played by a... Brogue, a Scottish brogue. little Scott, yes. He's he's full-blooded Scotsman. He loves it. Uh, um, yeah, and he's on this planet. He was, he, was, uh, a, he was on a ship that was attacked by the Gorn. He managed to escape in a shuttle that crash-landed on this planet. Unfortunately, this is exactly where the Gorn were heading, so he really didn't get away from them oh the frying pan into the fire right yeah um you kind of feel like you can't trust him the whole episode but in the back of my lizard brain i'm like but he's scotty <laughs> like right, of course right. you can and regarding the tos characters i think it makes sense to start introducing all of them essentially except for Chekhov, who doesn't appear until season two uh on tos so he's on a bridge sense. crew he's member a though he could He's an ensign, right? He could He's an ensign, right? He, uh, 100% yeah. Walter Koenig will appear as, like, his grandfather and be like, yeah. oh, I should boy. get my, you know, grandson to intern on this ship one day. We'll be like, right. oh, my God. But, you know, um, we've already had, you know, the big, well, not even the big three, uh, excluding Bones, but we've had the big three of this show, Kirk, Spock, and Uhura. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, now we have Scotty. So, I would guess a Bones, we got to see a Bones at some point. And we got to see a Sulu at some point. Right, right. Um, but we might get, boy. you know, did Bones come with Kirk to the Enterprise? Was he already there? There's a lot that we but don't Bones know. Bones would have about. been, to be made chief medical officer of the Enterprise, he he probably would have been in Starfleet for many years right, before that. He, so, he's bouncing around Starfleet. I'm sure somewhere. they'll write him in there at some go. point. Yeah. What you're painting in my brain right now, a hotshot shirtless <laughs> pilot who's into drag racing like ships who like... A young punk who's inspired and fencing, who's inspired to join Starfleet after interaction. Give me young Sulu, who's like, oh, behave, you know, and says like all the classic George Takai things. Please. I mean, oh my. They really need to nail the (laughs) casting. Sulu and Bones. Like, 
Bones, yeah. I feel like, would be surprisingly hard to cast because you need some. I mean, first of all, Carl Urban. I would have thought that about such a Kirk. good job. Yeah. Well, but, maybe it but, was, and Paul Wesley's just that good. <laughs> right. And they're growing on me, but Bones, Carl Urban does a great, uh, you know, rendition of the original Bones. And so to follow that up, and I know we've talked about Kelvin versus Strange New Worlds. We're leaning Strange New Worlds for most of the castings. We are. They really got to nail this Bones because I love Bones as a character. And they need someone who can do that kind of cantankerous, oh, you green-blooded Vulcan, um, so we can argue with Spock, you know? Well, like, Mike and I have a reveal that we maybe like this Montgomery Scott more than Simon Pegg. See, that is yeah. wild to me only because he was just introduced. We've had one episode with him. I can't put him above yeah, Simon Pegg he nails it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, Simon Pegg is great, though. But he never you know, looked like Scotty to me. No, this no. guy feels like Scotty. That was a this guy is a short, Scott. squat little Scottish man. He sure. is legitimately Scotty. Wily. If you put a little mustache on him and a glove, I guess, to hide one of his fake fingers, he would very yeah. much remind. He's going to get his. Uh, he's going to get James his finger bit by by Gorn. <laughs> I don't dislike this Scotty. I just need more time with him, like with Kirk originally. Like I want him. I'm sure he's going to grow on me. He was fine in this episode. Um, and it was kind of a surprise for him to come in. He's kind of like the survivor in a zombie movie that kind of comes in and is like, look, I built this trap, blah, blah, blah. I've been dealing with these zombies for a while now. Let me show you how this works and everything. And they kind of, they're all boarded up in this uh, Western town, essentially this colony on the edge of space. And um, so of course the Cayuga was there on the planet during the invasion, the crew of the Cayuga, the Cayuga was destroyed and it's uh, sitting in space half, you know, decrep you know uh whatever the word is that i'm thinking it's of. in a decaying uh-huh. orbit it's up there in space but it's in a decaying orbit but yes. what predicates all this is you know we, we we were teased you know memento mori we kind of thought the gorn is going to be the main enemy for strange new worlds that's confirmed it's a gorn attack right but what predicates this is there's something with the orbit of the planet or the colony somehow goes past the demarcation line that the gorn are like this is our territory or some shit yeah so it's essentially this colony is outside of Federation space. Actually, they're a colony of humans that decided to leave the Federation, go live on this frontier town, essentially of space. And so they're not under Starfleet jurisdiction. So they're not technically protected or governed by Starfleet, but they're living just on the edge of space. So they're actually in what the Gorn consider their space. Right. So it becomes a border. In dispute. my opinion, the Gorn aren't sending memos to Starfleet. Money. No. Yeah. <laughs> But our tax money should not go towards these people getting vaccines. <laughs> That's They're right. Not part they of chose the to leave the Federation. They got right. offended yes. themselves, right? Um, yeah, but it's like an anti-vaxxers you know, in space. It is a lot like the front American frontier going out west, leaving the established U.S. government of the East and heading out west to try to strike gold and become and rich. And set right? up somewhere that, oh, turns out someone else has already been here the whole time when you were ignorant to think you could just post up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it's usually, you know, it's usually the Native American. Usually, you know, a lot of those Westerns don't age well because of their depiction of Native Americans as well, the point savages. Is those lands but, were settled and they weren't paying attention. Yeah. People were defending what they thought was their land or that what was their land. But in this show, the Gorn are claiming this is their territory. You know, it's right. not equating yeah, much like lizards. to the villains. But what I'm saying is yeah. situation no, they are. where you're not you supposed are. to be. <laughs> we're getting more nuance of the Gorn here where, where we're kind of thinking, hey, maybe the Gorn aren't just like mindless killing machines. Maybe they have... Maybe we just need to understand them better. And that's what Pike, of course, always wants to do. He's looking for a way to understand someone rather than fight them directly. Mm, um, but at right. the same time, they are doing these provoking actions of 
um, invading this planet. And like what seems and like you, inhuman kind of war crime stuff, but yeah, yeah, like they're brutal. You shout you shout them out here real quick, and I will as well. Uh, this is maybe my favorite Christopher Pike performance. I think Anson yes. Mount. This entire episode plays such a different captain who is constantly off his footing, afraid, nervous, tense, has to get talked down by people, is making mistakes, constantly says to them, what would you do? What would you do right now? I'm just so worked up because Captain of, uh, Banana is in trouble. Captain Banana, yeah. He's second-guessing himself. So Captain Battelle is on this planet as well as Nurse Chapel, who went with them uh, on the Cayuga as part of her whole uh, scientific uh internship thing that she's doing internship yeah um so spock's very worried of course about chapel um pike is worried about patel and then you have starfleet telling them you can't go over there like that's past our border we can't authorize that um and essentially saying you have to leave the cayuga to fend for themselves and pike does a classic uh starfleet captain trope of ignoring Starfleet and doing his Mm -hmm. own thing and breaking the rules, uh, which I think every captain has done at some point um, Mm -hmm. for good reason. And sometimes you just have to be like, no, we are going to we're not going to leave these people behind. I don't care if it's over the border. Um, They're, you know, they're our our friends. So um, yeah, love this episode. Zombie, a lot of zombie stuff, right? We have the boarded up. Yes building they're all hiding out in. We have so many different um, sort of ref- They even reference it directly by saying, Oh, watch old zombie movies. You'll learn how to like, you know, hide from these people or whatever. Special guns that can only kill this type of enemy. You're like, Oh, okay. they're introducing. Yeah. yeah some militarized uh, Starfleet. There's this, like this, as Ortega puts it, breaking case of Gorn, this secret cache of Gorn killing weapons that have been made that. Yes. You know, you can right. Bust out. So this is something we haven't seen out of Starfleet. Either. Yes. And they get we, past we also, the... Oh, sorry. I was just going to well, say, we also get... get the payoff real quick. Sorry for Ortegas who finally gets to say the line of like, Oh, I do get to go on the away mission. Hooray. <laughs> she finally <laughs> yeah. gets her away mission. Correct. She doesn't yeah. just fly the ship. She has to fly the shuttle. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I also fly the um, shuttle, <laughs> but they get through. I know so what I'm these... doing. She keeps saying that to him. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, these Gorn ships are sitting in orbit of this planet, so they need to get through these Gorn ships without being detected. So how they do that is by disguising their shuttle with a bunch of space debris, like in a zombie movie, putting their blood and guts on you to walk past them without alerting them, Mm -hmm. uh, as seen in like The Walking Dead and other things. Um, So they do that with the shuttle. It just looks like a bunch of space junk, and that's how they're able to get through the sort of blockade. Yeah. Yeah. So they're coming in hot, quite literally. She has to do a last-minute maneuver below the tree line kind of thing you know you've seen it a hundred times but uh yeah i want to i want to bring up because i rewatched arena after we had done this and i'm like i want to see how this compares and contrasts because a lot of what we're seeing is just an exaggerated version of the arena and tos where like what they do in arena is there's a, a a problem at a colony they show up and it's just been decimated by this unknown enemy mm-hmm. And there's no communications available. Like all communications are down. Like, and that's what they're doing here. There's a communications are out. They're decimating this colony. And, you know, at the end, Kirk is like, he has to fight this thing. And he's like, the entity pits them against each other. They end up in a part of space where like some anomaly says, you guys are fighting. You have small brains. Someone let you guys fight each other on a planet. And that's how you're going to solve it. And at the end, Kirk is like, this thing, it, it's 
thinking and it can fly a spaceship. Like clearly it's sentient. I don't understand it, but I'm not going to kill it. And that's like what Pike starts dealing with. It's like, are they just monsters? And that's like the question. I think it's right. cool that that was introduced to the stupid green rubber suit man. And they're just doing it with a lot more gravitas here. And it's cool that they're yes. adhering to that classic yes. stuff. I love it. And uh, again, as you're saying, like we do see the Gorn. We see a full adult Gorn. And Colin, yes. you were saying this was all done practically. Well, or uh, was Mike saying? Still, that? I don't remember who uh, said Mike it. was saying with Someone some said, fucking yeah. puppets. You were watching that. Uh, what is it again? The Ready Room. Yeah, the Ready Room. And and I again, I was saying this is throwing back to the guy in the the green suit. And I was like, ah, oh, these Gorn look cool because we see an adult Gorn. We'll get there, but they look great, you know. And then I found out the little ones are puppets, and the adult ones are human performers in like hundred pound suits. And then they do some CG on the face, but it's all practical: the eyes, the mouth, everything. It's like wow, they committed to guy in the green suit and i just can't be happier for them to do that they chose to do that over cg which Uh convincing any production company to be like no instead of this much cheaper cg we want to do puppets and practical effects and stuff it's it's impossible to convince yeah Um, here's the thing i've i've told this story on the podcast before i meant to tell it on the into darkness episode as like a refresher but i'll I'll do it on here because it's a little more relevant Mm -hmm. um i was privy to some information back in the day that when uh into darkness was coming out that the original plot of that film was the gorn that the star trek was very interested in using that enemy I think maybe in place of the Klingon stuff, maybe still it was going to be Wrath of Khan, but maybe the foot soldiers would have been lizard men. Mm. Hasbro, I'm sorry, Hasbro. Uh, so Paramount bailed on that uh, and pushed to a different Hasbro property all the previs CGI effects of lizard men in space outfits to the battleship film, the Peterberg battleship film, which if you guys oh, have seen that, wow. is the aliens are lizards in space outfits with guns who are the Gorn. Now, truly since then, I know that every writer who has done live action Star Trek has pitched like, what if we do the Gorn? What if we do the Gorn? So when we saw in that first season of Strange New Worlds, I just remember thinking like, these motherfuckers finally got it in. Akiva Goldsman, who we know has just like had his little hands in this universe forever, finally got to do what he wanted to do. And I, I think the choice to do it practical was the right choice. Mm-hmm. I was it so happy great, when yeah. I saw that. It, it reminded me of I, I'm I'm addicted to this kind of stuff. Like practical effects. Jim Henson. I, I talk about the le- legacy of the Ninja Turtles animatronics becoming the dinosaurs, all that stuff. And there's DNA in that in these Gorn. And I love yeah. it. And it reminded me of DVD special features that are long gone. Like Ready Room. Great, great. That it I also yeah, you're me on it, dude. It's I awesome. thought it was very uh, alien, you know, very uh, the way they kind of move around and stuff. And uh, yeah, seeing the big Wee. adult. Um, I, you know, we Spock get guys do the spacewalk. We get a, a zero gravity fight against an adult Gorn, similar to in, in that Star Trek movie, because I can't keep them straight when they're fighting Klingons. And, uh, you know, Worf right. has a one-liner. Assimilate this. It's the Borg. Sorry. Assimilate yes, this. First yeah. contact. The first contact um, space fight. Assimilate. Yeah. So Spock, you know, <laughs> Chapel is the only, apparently the only one left alive on the Cayuga. Uh, he doesn't even look, Jacob. We're not even going to pretend like he searches for life for one second. He no. finds his girlfriend and he's like, you ready to go? If he didn't yep. see Chapel, she would have 
died with that ship, but uh, because their plan is to send the basically the carcass of the Cayuga down on this beam thing. Essentially, there's there's this Gorn thing that is stopping uh, transporter and communication signals. Uh, there's always this is another Star Trek trope. There's always something blocking the signals because otherwise you could just use transporters to get out of almost everything. So, but the Gorn um, have a device that renders you blind in it, just like it did. But it is a Star Trek trope now. But in Arena, yeah. that's like a throwaway line, and they're like they have a specific device, and so we're going to get wow. the saucer section to crash into it. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So that's what they need to do. They need to send the Cayuga into this thing so they can get their transporter working they can transport everyone off the planet and save them so Spock um, has to put jet boosters on the outside of the saucer section throughout that process they encounter the gorn he sees chapel they do it crashes into it we beam everybody out foo we did it we got montgomery scott here and then it turns out oh i'll just be on your ship now great yeah. okay Everybody's um, beaming. We see yeah. beaming happening, right? But, but then it's green the beaming cliffhanger. colors. Right. It's uh, green beaming. Uh, it's not, in fact, our heroes who are beaming them out. And if you're the three of us on this couch, again, having such a lovely evening, mm-hmm. you lean forward, scream out when it cuts back to upstairs and our captain's kind of getting yelled at. And it's, it's truly a question of like, what are you going to do, Pike? Pike, what are you going to do? But to black. To be continued comes up, and we just wow. go, what? what? Just cannot Classic. believe it. Classic. it finally us, what are they doing this time? The two-parter. Yeah. Best Those of both of worlds, ending with, wow. I am Locutus of Borg, to be continued. Uh, and then you had to wait a whole summer to see what happened to Captain Picard. I'm sure, uh, you know. Couple it was years crazy. Now. We're going to have to wait um, so long. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, I'll happily the wait. strike. Who knows when season three of Strange New Worlds will come out at this point. Um, but yeah, so the the fates of the crew of the Cayuga mostly that are on the planet. We don't know what's going on. Battelle. Ortegas. Well, yeah. Yeah, Ortegas. And we should mention Battelle, uh, cl- classic yes. zombie trope, was infected uh, or impregnated, you could say, with uh, Gorn eggs. Because essentially how Gorn spawn their young is they implant their eggs into you know, humans or other, mm-hmm. uh, animals. And was. Yeah. yeah. And they're essentially, they chest burst out when they grow and, and use the, the human for sustenance. Right. So mm-hmm. Patel has been impregnated with Gorn eggs. They need to figure out a way to save her before she dies. Right. Yeah. Put her in the buffer. So, put put everybody in the buffer. In the buffer. Everybody put put a whole That's standard protocol. Everybody. Anyway. Put Don't the gorn in the buffer. Just put her in the buffer. Put we, the gorn in the know, buffer. <laughs> yeah, you could fix chewing gum flavor by just rebuffering it, you know? So just put right. her in the buffer and pull her out minus egg. Find the egg pattern I don't know if and they, just remove yeah, it. Maybe they don't know how to do that yet, but... Montgomery might find a way to tweak the power and You tra- oh, figured out transwarp uh, beaming. Beaming. Right? So... <laughs> Just if you Not this version you. of him. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as we, we get, yeah, we think we saved everybody. And then, yeah, we find out a ton of the survivors and crew is on the Gorn ship. And then all these Gorn ships come out of orbit. Shit's going to hell. And Pike is frozen. And then we hear Una. The last line is orders captain. And she desperately reaches out to Pike. And he just stares in wow. shock because he doesn't know what to do. And that's credits. And... He, sh- we know in Balance of Terror, he knows he's not a great war strategist, you know, strat-, strat, whatever, you know, strategist. Strategist, yeah. Yeah, that's not his right, realm. Yeah. This that's is something not, so he, beyond no. anything he's He's not faced. a warrior. He's not a soldier. He's an explorer and a diplomat. He doesn't want to yeah. fight yes. people. Um, 
but yeah, crazy cliffhanger. And uh, I can't wait to see, you know, how it's resolved. Yeah. I yes. think uh, absolutely love look, it though. That's Star Trek. We're going to jump into our final thoughts here, but this is obviously a long overstuffed episode. The mm-hmm. point of this is, if you've been listening along to our episodes where we've been doing our film series, been talking for over a year, right, Jacob? Literally all the, the oh, Star yeah. Trek films are close to a year, maybe? Longer than a year. Um, we started in March or April of 2022. Wow. We have one more coming up, and that's sands this episode. This is one of our last times to talk TV. Then we're going to talk about the movies one more time. We're going to be done with Trek. And as we keep pointing out, we're not going to get any more of this show for a little bit of time. No, Maybe uh, we'll have a Lower Decks Season 3 episode yes. at some point. Yes. Oh, yes. Sure. Okay. That's, that's a good way to squeeze in there. But I have loved talking Star Trek with you guys so much. It is fun yeah. to think about putting a cap on it. But it is going to be a part of my life where like... Like, Mike, you said to us, like, this is your nice little show that you get in a mm-hmm. nice little mood for where you'd watch it every week. And I, yep. I felt the exact same fucking way. So, yeah, we, we it's bittersweet. thank you. Yes. And, and just if you truly have taken the journey and listened to all our Star Trek content this entire time, you know, Captain salute for you. Do do Captain on the bridge. Like, you, <laughs> yeah. you rule. Oh, Swain. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thank you yeah, so is, much. This is definitely serving as kind of not completely because we have into dark or beyond, but it's beyond is almost last just a, se- a season finale it. for us. Yeah, maybe the last, maybe not once uh, the the Star Trek Four Kelvin universe comes out in my dreams. Remake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, right. unfortunately, there's not going to be much new con- content uh, Star Trek wise, except for Lower Decks season starting soon, which I know you're looking forward to. Um, but it has, it is bittersweet to end the show and, um, you know, 10 weeks of great episodes. Um, sad is going away. I'm going to miss Pike. I'm going to miss all my, my favorite characters. Well, as we go to final thoughts, uh, I'll just have to say, you know, these characters will be gorn, but not forgotten. And uh, we'll catch you on the hey. <laughs> We're back here wrapping it up, uh, giving our final thoughts here on Strange New Worlds Season 2. I think I like the show so much, but just to give my final thoughts here real quick. Mm -hmm. To answer our question before, more episodes, less episodes. I don't think Lower Decks would exist if there were less episodes in a show. When you get that filler stuff, you can conceptually explore. They mm-hmm. did that with that episode of TNG you guys told me about right. called Lower Decks that inspired yeah. Lower Decks. We wouldn't have gotten the, uh, the crossover without that. Mm-hmm. The Lower Decks uh, ensigns and people who work on the ship but aren't the bridge crew. And that was never really explored yes. before in, in uh, Star Trek. No. Yep. At this rate, they're never going to explore what was the name of the young lady who sits next to Ortegas and I guess Mitchell. answers the emails. Mitchell. What is her job? Mitchell, what, what does she, she do? She sits in the Chekhov spot. So I guess she certainly you know, doesn't apply to sitting next to Sulu. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've already asked you guys what Chekhov does and you've given me very mixed answers. So. <laughs> and yeah, he looks for the nuclear weapons. He looks out for the Wessels. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's like well, the God bless her. role, right? Where she's plotting the course or oh, whatever. Hey. <laughs>
I, I think you need the pilot should be in charge of where they're going, but that's Tell fair. us what Mitchell yeah. does, like, listeners. Yeah, that makes sense. I get the radar, even tech or something, to, yeah. for yeah. the submarine equivalent. That I love that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I want more. And I think this show would be a really, really popular show if it was on any other fucking network or even if it aired on CBS or something. And I'm just so worried about it constantly. And when you guys are like, we'll do another Lower Decks episode, you know, that'll be there. Like, even that one, I'm like, we're getting four seasons of this? Like, I feel like I'm making out like a bandit the night. Like, like, don't even talk about it. I don't want people to know it exists because then it will be canceled. Someone will write it off for a tax credit. Don't remind executives they're still paying for it. Yes. I have no concept of like how popular Strange New Worlds actually is because I feel like through us, like we all love it, but a lot of people in my life talk about it. A lot of people in my life are you guys and me telling my dad (laughs) Mm -hmm. to watch it. It's like, yeah, that's not a good gauge, but in, in the real world, nobody talks about this thing, dude. And well, in star Trek has been a hard sell recently. I mean, discovery kind of flopped the first two seasons of Picard definitely flopped. They completely changed the direction of that show for season three, season three, People like that more, but I still don't think it's like it's not in the zeitgeist as much as like even the Disney Star Wars stuff and even the Disney MCU stuff that hasn't been very good. People are, I'm sure, way more people watched uh, Secret Wars than wa- Secret Invasion than fucking watched uh, uh, Stranger Worlds, which is mind boggling. I me. would hope that's but, not true. But or yeah. even the Ahsoka show that I don't really have any interest in watching. Like, I know people are still watching these shows. I don't know what Stranger Worlds audience oh. is. Yeah. Ahsoka. <laughs> that 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 thing. That is the ultimate. Every time I look at an ad for that, I'm like, oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, the <laughs> show that made you, it's for a me, sequel to two honestly. animated yes. shows that you had yeah, to I, I'm here when for you were it. a kid. Yeah. I'll say Star I don't Wars. Know, Mike, but even you, I feel like are like, eh, thank you. Thank you You're for welcome. doing that. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh we'll see how that Ahsoka show is. I'm not super psyched for it, but I still think it's gonna have better viewership numbers and more people talking about it than Stranger Worlds just because Yes. Star Star yes. Wars as an IP has a lot more clout these days, but I yeah, think, that's you know comparing Tribbles to Lost Cats, you know, it's two completely yeah. different things. <laughs> but I've been you know, of course, very critical of Alex Kurtzman and Akiva Goldsman and the people behind modern Trek, uh, really since the Kelvin time. Um, but I do think they've righted the ship in recent years from Dis- Discovery and seasons one and two of Picard being a particular low point to change that around to now discovery is ending. Picard is ending. Strange new worlds is the flagship show with also lower decks being the secondary kind of show. Mm -hmm. And both of those are so good that I really think they've righted the ship in terms of quality. They just need the, the audience, right? They deleted prodigy Jacob. They deleted it. It's gone. It's not the buffer. It's It's possible that may be coming back. What do we do? We Uh, save money. (laughs) Yeah. The, unfortunately, I, that's the one we, show I never watched, Prodigy, which is me neither. Now it's gone. Kid focused show. Um, and you guys love Janeway. Yeah, I'm a yeah. fan. Hope love is a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> I like Janeway. <laughs> okay, <laughs> never mind. Fair enough. Robert Beltran in the news. We should say, by the way, but yes. let's just skip over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> do you have a fa- favorite episode this season, uh, Colin? I'm I am going to put those old scientists above it. Uh, specifically, I know we shouted out all the comedy, but the moment in the little spaceship where Mariner and Boimler say, 
you know, we traded, what was it? It was like salt, you know, like we're here. So they had to like trade salt to these people, which means these, you know, survivors didn't get that. And it's caused this chain of effect. We need to correct that. We need to own up and be responsible. I loved it. I thought that was great. Yeah. I'll give you my top three. That's fine too. Um, wow. Because I can't even just pick one, you know, it's but hard. I think number one, these those old, <laughs> uh, those old scientists, number one, wow. number two, yes. tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Yes. And right um, number three could be, you know, a couple ones, but I think I'll give it to Under the Cloak of War because I hey, thought that was a really you. strong Mbenga wow. and Chapel episode. And uh, yeah, and three different, you know, three different tones. Uh Yeah. I guess yes. under the cloak and war and tomorrow, 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 a little more similar in terms of tone, but, yeah, um, but it's yeah, yeah. There's some I just love happening that, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow. Some yeah, yeah. it's um, sci-fi adventure versus like war drama. I, I would yeah. argue very different. Actually, yeah, but yes, um, yeah, and ultimately, strange new worlds. Uh, I'm I'm not ready to say in terms of like it's not my favorite Star Trek show ever because that would be such a huge accomplishment. I mean, that would be like mm-hmm. like to 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 be Put above DS9, in my mind, it would have to be like the greatest show ever made because I love DS9 so much. That's kind of a almost a comfort comfort show for me because I I I first binged it during a time in my life. I broke my collarbone. I was bedridden Mm -hmm. for a while after surgery and I was just blazing through these episodes of DS9. And so it's like my safe space that I go to. Um, So really to surpass that would be an amazing feat. But I think Strange New Worlds... Even being in the top three of Star Trek shows for me with DS9 and TNG, two shows that I love. I mean, that's huge praise, I think. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. Strange New World yes. has been super, super strong. Um, and I just love it. So uh, yeah. great job. To Mike, cast favorite crew. episode? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no worries. No, I, I might do a, a three pack here. I'll do uh, Under the Cloak of War number one. Uh, because the revelation of the practical effects and I like the nods to the original hegemony part one. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully it pays off. And uh, these old scientists, that was delightful. Yes. And I must wow. say subspace Rhapsody, a lot of the old heads didn't want to watch it, but I'll take 10 subspace Rhapsodies for every one sub Rosa. Um, yeah. The, sol- you know the old mean? heads need to remember Chill. how many bad one-off episodes there are in Star Trek's history because yeah. there's a lot of them. Like TNG is a great show. But like a full maybe 25% of the show, the episodes in that sh- show are not very good. Uh, no watch Skin of Evil, yeah. I, yeah. I saw an argument from a nerd that was like, it's too many gimmick episodes. And another nerd was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, there were two gimmick episodes, a musical and a crossover. And it's like, yeah, two out of eight. Yeah. And are right. those gimmicks? And those aren't even really gimmicks because they tell interesting stories within that gimmick and star trek's always done gimmick episodes like you had mirror episodes you've had time travel we've had plenty mm-hmm. of gimmick episodes before yeah. um so I like, like these this. people do they even watch star trek i don't know yeah to wrap up my thoughts real quick we can get on um star trek at its best it's about humanity and how we can hopefully one day mm. be the best of us right what the representation yes. of the best of us and i think strange new worlds is a distillation of the best of trek I can't say it's my favorite show just like you, Jacob, but I think, damn, is it the most consistent? It's it's the, you know, yeah. it's the easiest watch for new people and it would be doing great on network. I love this show. I think it does not miss. I think there's just some episodes that are slightly weaker, but I don't think there's a single bad episode of the entire series so far. 
And that's incredible. And I totally, I, I totally agree with you that it's the best show for a newbie to start watching if they wanted to get into Star Trek. Yes. And then that could lead, or, lead to some of the older shows if you're mm-hmm. interested. And I even watched, you know, when I was visiting uh, my family last year, uh, I watched some season one episodes with my sister who's not a Star Trek fan at all, doesn't know anything about Star Trek, and she enjoyed them and she was having fun. So, um, yes. really, Normies, you can get into it. Um, if you made and, it this yeah. far, you probably already have, just by the way. Thank you. <laughs> yes. And I wanted to ask uh, you guys. Again. God bless. Season one versus season two. Did you think season two was stronger than season one? Yes. I I think so as well. And I rewatched it yeah. season one before we watched the finale. And I, yeah, I think yeah. so. And I liked season one a lot too. Mm-hmm. And just to say, like, again, for me to put this over DS9 would be hard. That would be like... If a new Star Wars movie came out and I put it above, you know, Empire, Empire Strikes Back, like yeah. right. it would have to be the best Star Trek Star Wars movie ever made. So that's the only reason yeah, I like put Rise it of Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, why you got it so high? <laughs> I love Rise of Skywalker. Yep. J.J. Uh, Abrams, my favorite, made my favorite uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Star and Wars. My- I was Star so Trek. bummed when they killed Palpatine <laughs> in Return of the Jedi when they brought him back. Thank Sorry. God. Somehow. somehow Palpatine Somehow Khan returned. That's right. But when Somehow, Palpatine was revealed to be John Harrison, it was quite the twist. <laughs> oh, yes. There's a new Somehow senator, John, John Harrison. Harrison. <laughs> yeah. John Harrison. Oh, God. He's back. <sighs> All right. Well, our two and a half hour mission was to break down uh, Strange New World Season 2. It was a long one, but I had a it's lot a of fun one. again. I could talk about Star Trek forever with you guys. This is yes, one of my favorite, favorite shows, and I'm going to miss it. <laughs> here's the thing. Even now, as we're saying goodbye, I'm like, there's... 30 other things I wanted to mention about each of those individual episodes. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, oh. I don't know the full time length on this, but it may surpass our one of our longest ever, which was the Mission Impossible one we just did. Which is um, wild. Oh, wow. But again, you're talking to, uh, 10 episodes of a one hour long show versus a movie. You know, it's a lot a lot of episodes to talk about. So Yeah, yeah. we talked about and, seven movies in that one podcast. Just be <laughs> That's true as well. Because I looked up with Jacob off pod. If we were to do one episode for every episode of Star Trek, it would take roughly 18 years, plus or minus, doing one episode a week. <laughs> wow. Hey, yeah. I, got oh, new, I hate that, Mike. I got a new yeah, podcast. There's like 880-something episodes total, plus or minus. So, uh, that's a lot hey, of Hey, who would win? The Enterprise or the Entity? <laughs> <laughs> the entity um, wasn't the you know, Entity the just like V'ger, essentially? <laughs> oh, I guess that's <laughs> It's not V'ger yet. <laughs> it's, right. It would become V'ger right. if it gets to space. The entity right. will download itself into someone's body, and then Paul Wesley will make out with that person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, yeah, I think if anyone can stop the entity, <laughs> if anyone it's other Captain than Ethan Hawke can stop the uh, Ethan Hunt, yeah, Hunt. or Ethan Hawke, uh, maybe he the can actor stop Ethan Hawke. <laughs> um, I think it would be, yeah, Captain Pike or Captain No, Kirk. it would be Kirk because Kirk would just yes. talk to it until it killed itself. <laughs> like he did with that it other supercomputer. It is super funny computer. to imagine Pike in all of Kirk's moments in the films because it would be – he would just be like, Feature, what are you doing? Like, you don't, you don't want to do this. Whereas, like, Kirk kind of, like, purses at things or, like, makes out with them or, like, grabs them. <laughs> right. Uh, well, that would be the – alternate timelines um, yeah but that's star trek strange new world season two it is um, it over it is normies tell us what you think write in leave us comments 
Check out the YouTube. Please do all that stuff, right? Order As apron. always, hit us up at normies underscore like underscore us, where I'm sure you'll be able to see the this YouTube footage of Mike's apron and then be able to order your own. Uh, and as we said, give us your thoughts. And truly, I am curious. If you've listened to all our Star Trek content, comment and be like, yeah. I'm I'm an old head, you know. This these are my thoughts on the musical episode or whatever. We I would love to know from a real Star Trek fan what your thoughts were on on this whole season and and what we've been talking about. Absolutely. If you've been watching the movies along with us, let us know. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be wild. Uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't be uh you know beyond the scope of imagination to have you you know joining us for you know the future no. of the final video. And that's our that's going to be bittersweet yeah. in two weeks when we. Say goodbye to the Trek franchise, at least for the most part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like Gene Roddenberry, we're going to launch Jacob's ashes into space. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, I want my wife to be the ship's computer. That's right. Uh, All right. Well, we've been your host. All right. uh, Till then, we've been your host. Yeah. This is Kaluna. Captain Christopher Mike. This is uh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Commander, I believe, Jock. Science officer, Lieutenant Commander. Wow, is he a Lieutenant Commander? I don't know. Just a Lieutenant um, sure. now. <laughs> That's a lot of lieutenants. Soon he'll be uh, an ambassador. L- live long and prosper. <laughs> live long and prosper, Norman. Scientists. <laughs> Give her all she's got, Captain. My name is Gandalf the Grey, and I'm imploring you to leave a like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Don't keep it secret. Don't keep it safe. Don't take me as a conjurer of cheap tricks, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Normies Like Us. Fly, you fools.